Russia with love I fly to you much wiser since my goodbye to you I've traveled the world to learn I must return from Russia with love Hello everybody and welcome to Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast, a podcast dedicated to James Bond, hosted by three people who like James Bond. My name is Groves, Noah Groves, one of Karen Bay's many children. And my name is Ben and uh, just want to let you know that it is the right size, for me that is. <laughs> And I am Colin Bay, and uh, welcome <laughs> to our Turkish gypsy camp extravaganza for the next two hours. Yes, this is episode three, talking about the second film in the series, or third if you count the uh, American Casino Royale with uh, American James Bond, uh, but we don't get that because it probably sucks. Um, yes, we're talking about from Russia with love... Um, the follow-up to Dr. No, we start out with our general thoughts on it. Um, ben, do you want to go first on this? I thought you wanted to go first, Noah. Do, don't you want Don't you <laughs> want to have an opinion? Oh, well, I, I was waiting to hear your opinion, but I can have an opinion. I, I think you, you should have an opinion first, Noah. You are number three, of course, according to your name. <laughs> uh, number three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't always loved this one as much as a lot of people have. Um, like, it, it's never been down the bottom for me. It's, I've always enjoyed it, but not as much as a lot of people have. But in saying that, I had a lot of fun with it on, on this rewatch compared to past ones. So I'll, I'll leave it at that as a little teaser. I have. It's been a long time since I've watched From Russia With Love. Um I, it's it's one of the ones that I haven't watched that many times, so it was almost like I was watching it for the first time again, and I really enjoyed it. It was um it was vastly different to Doctor No in just how it was um put together and and we, we in everything. Well, and and what was great about it too is that there was so many sort of elements of the Bond series and the franchise that were, I guess, that were slightly there in Doctor No, but were really perfected. You know, we, we had the, the gun barrel scene that wasn't interrupted by, like, writing, and then we started, you know, getting, like, do, 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 three blind. Like, and we had, like, an opening scene, and we had the, the, the credits and all this sort of stuff that we just get used to as it goes along. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was good, and I, I quite um, enjoyed the fact that we got more than just Jamaica as well. Um, disappointed with the lack of mangoes and mice, though, I have to say. Well, there are a few mice in there, or rats, rats. I'm sure, in the sewers <laughs> of... Uh, yeah, three blind rats. Uh, for me, uh, as I said in the introductory episode, I kind of very strategically waited for this one because I always heard how great it was and made this one of the last Bond movies I ever watched. Um, and I've always loved this one. I think this is about as close as it gets to a perfect Bond movie. It's 
probably the one that follows the books the closest and um it's it's definitely the most suspenseful i think of all the movies and there's in some ways i think this is actually better than the book this is one of the few times where the movie improved on the book even though it follows it almost word for word Uh, i think that uh as ben was saying there's a lot of areas where this gets closer to the classic bond we know but there's also a lot of areas where i think this was the last time that they weren't really uh held down by okay we have to play up to all of these cliches and all of these traditions that we follow in the movies and so there's a lot of things that i noticed in on this rewatch where they're not quite at that you know james bond uh um that james bond prototype yet where they kind of have to follow it exactly so this is going to be an interesting one to go through I don't know if it's just me, but I felt like I had to watch this one much more closer than Doctor No. Was that just me? <laughs> like, well, a lot yeah, of stuff I mean, going on mm, here. Yeah, it's a very complicated plot. I don't think most people realize how complicated the plot really is for this. It's, it's, yeah, well, yeah and it's, it is quite, um, yeah, tough to follow, I guess, if you... if I mean, I could imagine if you're watching this for the first time, maybe if you're not too familiar with... Like, if you just said, you know, if I said to Louise, like, hey, Louise, my fiancé, by the way, for people who don't know who that is, uh, not just some random name I've just put out of my head, um, but, like, if I just said, hey, Louise, you're going to watch all the James Bond movies and we're going to start you in order. Um, I don't know if Louise or anybody would necessarily get it on a first go. It's, it's kind of like The Matrix. Like, you've got to watch it a couple of times, I feel, to get it, maybe. Yeah, well, I was thinking about this um, this morning, and we were laughing at how inept everything Doctor No did. Uh, <laughs> like he was horrible. Spectre. Spectre. I was impressed with <laughs> Spectre. Spectre. I was very impressed with uh, their plan. Uh, I think they weren't too upset about their Doctor No <laughs> loss. I don't. I don't feel because they've got a lot better staff members. I feel. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else saw that. I, I just like the fact that, uh, and I'm, I'm sort of jumping the gun because we're going to talk about this, but we see this elaborate sort of facility where they train people and everything, and I'm thinking, well, it must be working, guys, because you still know how to shoot somebody when you're actually aiming at them. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because I guess in, in a lot of the James Bond films, it's quite clear-cut, like, Oh, hey, um, you know, my my father left me for dead, so I'm going to turn myself into a Western guy who doesn't sleep, and I'm going to have a giant laser who destroys a demilitarized zone oh, in North Korea. Ben, South Korea. Oh, like ben. We're going to start a diet of a day count. By the time we reach the movie, I guarantee Ben has spent more time talking about it than Noah and I will during the real recap. But it's, I mean, it's a fair, so It's ago. a basic plot, guys. Come on. Whereas, like, you know, this one, it's got so. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of detail in just to basically, at the end of the day, explain they want to get a decoding device. Um, yeah. so... It's so simple, yet so complicated at the same time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's funny that the whole, not the whole thing, but a big part of the plan has to do with, with avenging Dr. No, but he was horrible. I don't know what he was adding to their corporation. I, I would not be upset about the loss of him, but, yes, yeah, shall we get into the main bulk of the film shall we say i, I reckon um, he gave good health care benefits and maybe dental or something like that so oh yeah free doctor yeah. Um, <laughs> about that. um yeah but well he seemed to be quite rejected so i'm not sure if i'd trust that no that was last week um <laughs> we're into the bigger and better stuff now starting with uh the gun barrel as you said ben and 
popping music this time. No. <laughs> 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 uh, still our friend Bob, though. Uh, Colin, you can correct me here, but I'm pretty sure... Well, I'm not sure if you know, but I don't think Bob Simmons was, was actually part of this film. Uh, at least not the bulk of it, anyway. As a stuntman, you mean? Yeah, like, I don't think he returned for this one other than a few of the scenes, and of course the gun bear. Uh Yeah, I don't know of any. I mean, most of the stories that we know of him and his stunts, I don't think that I've ever heard of one of him in uh, From Russia With Love. Um yeah, other than other than the gun barrel scene, which we see is is just recycled for the first three movies. <laughs> yeah, he was he was still um, a bit frightened from the tarantula, so he couldn't come back <laughs> it, it, for a couple of years. Yeah, it says that uh, the well, it says on IMDb. If you look, he, his involvement came down to being the fight double for Sean Connery on the train. So I don't know uh, if he did any other stunts other than that. Well, important scenes. So good on you, Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, the and we have the first ever pre pre title sequence, which was lacking from Dr. No, we just said boom, 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 boom. Um, <laughs> and I, I wrote quite suspenseful, um, this little scene, a bit of a silly ending, but there's a reason why they did that ending, um, Ben, the, the, the opening scene. It was, it was interesting how it all plays out and how it kind of. It draws to this big moment, and you know, oh, James Bond's dead already. Um, and then we get kind of like the... They kind of remind me of like the zombies from Thriller, um, you know, when they're all walking out towards them. They just come out of nowhere, basically. Like, they, they just remind me of some like zombies coming after him. But um, it... And the way it kind of then transitions into the opening song, it's it's like... Because we... I, I guess in a lot of them, you have this big dramatic opening sequence that... And, and I don't know, just the way it sort of had a, what, a fade into the music. It was, it was interesting how they did it. But I guess at least we've got this, as you said, like our first ever pre-title sequence, which is, again, just synonymous with James Bond movies. But um, I like it. And I like sort of the, the introduction of, of Red Grant and, um, you know, this, what, striking European blonde henchman. I mean, how many of these we had sort of since Red Grant? Um, I, straight away, I'm like, hey, it's Stamper from Tomorrow Never Dies. But um, I and actually, the more I've watched the film, does, does he not remind you a little bit of Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig. Like, this whole time, I'm like, I got it's that. Daniel Craig versus Sean Connery. <laughs> um, yeah, but Colin can attest to this, that in the novel, Bond doesn't actually show up to maybe, I don't know, chapter six, 80 pages in or something. So this was yeah. kind of done as a scene to let's get the hero back on screen straight away and not have him show up halfway through the movie like Dr. No yeah, I mean, with the, the book, it's it's broken into three sections, and the entire first third of the book is following just, uh, well, what would be Spectre in the movie, but uh, just the Russian side. So it took a long time for Bond to come. And even in the movie here, I mean, it's I, I didn't get an actual count. I don't know if you guys did, but it's probably close to 15, 20 minutes into the movie before Bond appears. Mm. So uh, I, yeah, um, I can tell you that it is... No, I can't tell oh. you. I didn't write that down. <laughs> Make up a number. <laughs> oh, 18 minutes in. I did write it down, sorry. 18, 18 minutes, minutes until we get actual Bond, not mask Bond. <laughs> yeah. 
So I had never put that together that um, that maybe it was done to introduce Bond a little bit earlier. But it is interesting because this, again, is something we talked about. I think it was, well, one of the last episodes that um, this is kind of normal now for movies, for a lot of movies to do this pre-title scene or something to introduce the character. And we definitely see it a lot on TV. But at the time this came out, I don't know if many people had ever done this before. Uh, and I think the surprise still holds up. I remember seeing this for the first time and just sort of like scratching my head, like what's going yeah, on here? Like, what's going to happen next? It, was, it throws you yeah. straight into it, doesn't it? Because you kind of automatically thinking like, oh, James Bond's on a mission. Bond's on a mission. What's <laughs> going to happen here? And I, I it just, I think it was fascinating. But I'll tell you one thing, Sprechta really are living up to the R in their name, aren't they? They really fucking want revenge on this guy. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> Well, Bond said he'd work in the revenge department, so (laughs) they're really pushing for that angle. I always found the the moment where the curtain pulls back, too. I mean, so they shoot Bond, and all of a sudden the curtain pulls back, and you see all these people there. I'm always expecting it to just be, like, this big crowd of people, like, happy birthday! (laughs) 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 Oh, James is dead. I'm just really convinced that uh, Rosa Claire, Greg Grant, none of that is their real faces, because Spectre is (laughs) damn well good at making masks. How good is that mask? Like, I didn't... You were talking about birthdays. They should invest in the birthday business. The 1960s are technology. Technology, well, they're very much ahead of their time. It, it does make me wonder why Rosa Klebb doesn't have a better disguise in the final <laughs> season. Of the well, I'm, I'm, I think, uh, didn't Blofeld also even use a Professor Dent mask in this movie? Um, is he wearing a wig? I mean, is he bald or is he just like, does he shave his head at some point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think he's in Professor Dent uh, makeup, but we'll get to that in a second. But. Yeah, both damn good masks and poor, poor moustache guy. Like, um, <laughs> who was he? He was just, um, you know, somebody who wasn't well. He stole someone's sandwich in the lunchroom. I think he's just like all of us. He wants to be James Bond, and they they called for volunteers, and he put his name. But, he didn't know what he was getting into. How do they volunteer? Like, how does Spectre like choose that person? Like, okay, guys, we're gonna go do a training exercise. Here's a mask for you to wear, Mister Mustache. Um, we all, we'll just say we're not using live ammunition. Um, but um, well, we might. We'll surprise you. Okay, off you pop, go in the maze. You know what it was? They, they only gave them two options. They're like, okay, you could be in a Bond mask and shot, or you could be the guy on the other end of the flamethrower training exercise. <laughs> like, mustache could catch fire. I think I'll wear the mask. Or you have to massage Red Grant's back. Um, your choice. Yeah, but, yeah um... Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was his big break in the movie industry. I don't know who it was, but... <laughs> I was impressed with... Uh, I think that was Nicky Van Der Zyl, but we won't get into that. <laughs> um, Voiced by Nicky Van Der Zyl. <laughs> No, I, I was really impressed with Spectre's plan in this film, but I'm not sure about this one, because just because he looks like James Bond, does that mean it's going to be the same way he acts and that Red Grant's going to be able to catch him just because he caught a guy who looks like him? Is it also in backwards order? Because Red Grant hasn't even received his mission about Bond yet, so it's just something he does in his spare time. <laughs> you must hate a guy that looks like this in the future. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, uh, you, you know why they did the scene, but 
I don't know if they put too much thought into the scene other than setting up what the movie is going to really be about. But yeah, I think By it's quite way, a good. Yeah. The name of the actor John Ketteringham. Oh, of course, uh, John. Oh, such a typical <laughs> John role. Who also has an uncredited role in Thunderball and an uncredited role in Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. Oh, was he like Batman in a mask? He was in the mask. Did he just play like <laughs> yeah, mask characters? <laughs> yeah. But jumping into it is the first ever title sequence, and it is quite uh, simple compared to what we get. Like, if you fast forward to Skyfall, but uh, we have the belly dancing. So, the first the boob one. zoom. The boob, yeah. the boob wobbling. <laughs> I, I, it's very simple, but I liked the decision to go with the instrumental version of the song because I think the song with the lyrics is horrible, if I'm being completely honest. But instrumental, I think it's quite good. It's, it's interesting that we still, I guess, two movies in, I mean, we get a, an opening credits with music, but, like, we don't, again, we we don't get a song, really, then to Thunderball, as uh, so to Goldfinger, do we? So, um, it, it's it's interesting, and I forgot that. And the first time we eventually hear um, it with lyrics um, from, oh, from Mr. Munro, really it's just like they're just, like, Somebody's in a car listening to it on the radio yeah, or was, something. That was weird, that, that bit. <laughs> it's interesting how in the James Bond um, universe, the theme song's played on local radio. <laughs> There's only three songs in the Bond universe underneath the mango tree, um, Jump Up Jamaica and <laughs> Russia With Love. I just I just wanted to have like James Bond like driving when they're on the boat, like going from Russia with love. <laughs> when he the... first meets Tanya, um, yes. she's singing it and he but <laughs> yes, but I, I like I liked it. I mean, yeah, as you kind of say, it's simple. But like, I, I'm sure in 1963 to have that kind of projection, you know, displayed on screens and the way it kind of like flashed in between the dancing. Like we sort of look at that now and think, well, that looks pretty shit. But like in 1963, I'm sure that was like highly advanced technology. And you know, I guess also you look at it at the time to have these scantily clad women dancing in that manner and we we talked about it in the Doctor No one about how much of a big deal it was to have you know Honey Rider in a bikini but like when we get that shot of the boobs wobbling before we get like the stomach (laughs) and I look I am sure that that probably caused a bit of a bit of a stir with some senses when they were putting this film back out like you know 50 odd years ago yeah um I think that uh the the opening credits they're not quite as polished as we're going to get on Goldfinger or Thunderball. Uh, the opening theme, as you said, I mean, I'm glad they did the instrumental version because it wouldn't have fit in here. I kind of wish that they had gone that route maybe with Octopussy or some of the other movies. Cause and Die Another some of those... Day. No! Yeah, Die Another Day. <laughs> Never! Do, 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 do. <laughs> But but I do think that the it works as an instrumental song, and I like the John Barry's arrangement of it, with especially with the introduction and then going into the James Bond theme on the end. So I always like the instrumental version of this, and I don't mind the actual "From Russia with Love" song either. Um, I like the I, song. I did notice I did notice in the uh, the opening credits that there is uh, a typo. Um, we <laughs> talked Doctor No about uh, the three time Bond girl Martine Beswick. Is going to appear again at Thunderball, and she's credited as Martin Beswick at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> Martine at the end. So, was this the first like uh, transgender, transgender celebrity? I was going to say she had a sex change. She just, um, yeah. Between Doctor No and here, she transitioned from Martin to Martine. 
Can I just quickly yeah. say, um, with it, like, we're, we're going to do an episode just on the song, so we won't sort of delve too much into Matt Munro's um, theme. But I, I, I quite like From Russia With Love. I think it's a good song, and it's probably up there in, you know, my top ten or so songs. Because, I don't know, there's just something about it that's relaxing, and it's just nice, and, you know, well, it's, it's, it's almost like having a picnic in the English sun, sunshine. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, because the instrumental is definitely not relaxing, but then you add the, the singing, and it definitely changes the song. But I read the reason they, that uh, Barry got rid of the vocal version is because the song has nothing to do with the film. I've travelled the world like... <laughs> so? I've this is Russia, places, not the world. and smiled for a moment. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, I think it was the right choice. But while we're talking about music, we should really mention that Out With Monty and In With Barry uh, this film... Yes. And you really know, like, I think we might as well talk about this now, but you really do notice the difference between Dr. No and this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of the many things that's, that is polished up after the original film, because I was very impressed with the soundtrack of this film. I thought it was great. Oh, I agree. Yeah, sorry, I, I was checking something there, and I didn't know if you were going to step in there, Colin. Um, there's, I mean, there's the the theme bit that they use there and, and I think kind of, you know, we joke about the concert that we saw Noah about Mary. I don't know if we've discussed <laughs> that on Double or Seven. Noah and I went and saw, um, what was her name? Mary something? Yeah, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Noah and I went and saw a, a concert with an English singer Mary something. She's well known for her renditions of James Bond themes. Good night. It was actually quite a good night with the Tasmanian Symphony <laughs> Orchestra and they... they <laughs> I was saying Mary good night as the oh. Bond <laughs> Well, well, it was a good night, though. <laughs> well, it was. It was. I, I, we had a, we had a nice meal beforehand. It was a very nice mandate. But uh, it was a good night. The the, the theme. Not good head. <laughs> Noah, that was later. We said we wouldn't talk about that. But there's the um the th- and she they played that didn't they that night with Mary the um the suite that they they play in one of the fight scenes in. I don't actually know the name of the piece, but um yeah, it's quite a well known James Bond piece for fans of the James Bond music. 007. Thank you. I think that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> quite, a, quite a simple... Uh... <laughs> I don't remember the name. It was pretty complicated or something. 007. <laughs> the piece of music when I think the actual piece is called 007 Takes the Lecter or something. I, I really liked that piece. I'm not sure if you guys remember that. I don't know if I could. Dun, 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 dun. I, that was a really bad version of it. Uh, that was no, I was right there. Thing. I thought I was actually watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else to say on the music? Yeah, uh, well, I, I think as a little bit of history here, there's a lot of debate about you know who was who was the actual composer of the Bond theme, and I think what it really comes down to is Monty Norman had written the Bond theme, but then John Barry came in to do the arrangement. So it was kind of a collaboration. But stepping up from the Calypso background music and, and cheesy songs of Dr. No into hey. what John Barry did in From <laughs> Russia With Love. I mean, it's, John Barry does not get nearly enough credit. And he has a huge following, but he doesn't get nearly enough credit for what he brings to the Bond movies. He not only created... You know, the the sound of James Bond, I mean, he created the sound of spy movies that's still duplicated to this day. I mean, how many modern spy movies 
will still include kind of that 60s sound that he develops here. Um, The entire score is just one of the best of the series. In some ways, it's never really been topped. Yeah, I was listening to the soundtrack this morning, and it really makes a difference to the film, I think, like... You just re- notice that someone needs to re-edit this with the Doctor No soundtrack, and <laughs> then you will know how much of a difference it is. But, um, yeah, let's jump into it a bit with the opening scene after the credits. We didn't have the kind of gun barrel, you know, how it goes into the transition into the scene, but um, we're getting there, and it's in Venice at the chess tournament, uh, very first scene with Kronstein, and I wrote in my notes in all capitals, slow scene. Um, I'm not sure about you guys there. Look, I have to stop you right there, Noah Groves, because um, I'm sure somebody on this podcast got a little bit excited. Um, That's right. What did we have, Colin? We had a certain representation of somewhere, didn't we? (laughs) We had the losing country of Canada in the finals. (laughs) Czechoslovakia versus Canada. (laughs) What is the purpose of the scene? Is it? I I just this baffled me a bit. It's to show that he's a smart man because he can win at chess. That he's (laughs) controlling things or something like. I'm not sure, Colin. Um, well, I mean, the same scene was in the book, and I don't know if if I'm remembering this right, but I'm pretty sure in the book it was different where when he got the message, he had to throw the game, uh, so he ended up losing. Whereas in this, I actually like the way it's the setup that he can just instantly win it. He just he always had that move in the back of his head, and he's like, oh, I got to go now. All right, checkmate, you know? So <laughs> I, I like that. Spectre glass. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> with the coaster on the bottom. Um, I, I do have to comment on one of very few Canadian characters in the Bond <laughs> series. Um, he has a great British accent for a Canadian chess champion. <laughs> now, but, now, Colin, um, sorry, no, like just really quickly, I don't know too much on the history of the Canadian flag. That was the old Canadian flag like, with the Union Jack and the red. When did the maple leaf come into play? Do you actually know that? Uh, I think it was right around the time this movie came out, to be honest. So okay. sometime in the 60s. Right, okay. Uh, this embarrassment, um, losing to Kronstein, they decided the public is shaming <laughs> that they would change the flag. Um, yes! <laughs> but, you know, like, Our chess champion doesn't even, have, doesn't even have it in him to have a Canadian accent. Our flag <laughs> let us down. Spectre is win- winning. Let's bring in the Maple Leafs. Up, up, up against a country that doesn't even exist anymore. Um. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the chess scene um, introduction to Colin. 1965. There we go, Colin. Yeah, so just two years later. <laughs> um, so straight after that, and in special features, there's kind of talked about how they kind of switched these scenes around. Like the chess scene wasn't actually supposed to be first, but um, straight after is the Spectre boat, SS Spectre, um, I think we should call it. And the first appearance of Blofeld is there, and he looks very Professor Dent like from behind. Am I not right? <laughs> I wrong there? Um, and, and the first appearance of Mr. Bigglesworth. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on! That was funny! Um, and this is... Uh, ben will love it because he's the, the biggest Austin Powers fan, but we have our first appearance. Number number three, number five. It's, it's just like, look, Austin Powers has ruined watching these James Bond movies because <laughs> you're just waiting to go, number two. <laughs> like, it's just... 
so yeah, it ruins it. But I, I like the whole setup, like with the the fighting fish and kind of like you know, um, like Spectre, they strike. <laughs> like, yeah, well, this scene is pretty much straight off the bat. This is the um, exposition scene. This gives you everything, pretty much. Um, you're introduced to the three big baddies, besides Red, um, and the plan to steal the lector machine. And a lot of their other plans. <laughs> They've got a million of plans in this film, and we'll get into them. But, yeah, this scene kind of has everything that the film will have going forward. And can I just point out, Kronstein, Vladimir Putin. Yes! <laughs> I thought the same thing. And, like, legitimately, if he hadn't died in this film, I would have assumed that in real life he loses his hair and grows up to be the president of Russia. P- Putin is old. <laughs> hey, he's, he's Vladimir Putin. Who knows how old he is? And my favourite part of this whole little sequence is the Doctor No mention. I got a bit yes. giddy there, how I was jumping up and down there and talking about revenge. <laughs> it is a big part of their names. <laughs> they want revenge, but yeah, this scene is quite good. And I enjoyed how the cat got fed a fish. Yeah, a dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it have been great in this scene? I mean, I, I do like the whole fighting fish thing. I think that... There's, there's not a lot of ways that you can sell how sinister uh, they are, especially when you're not seeing his face, but to have them just enjoying watching some fish kill each other is fun. But <laughs> wouldn't it have been great if he just let the cat loose and the cat just devoured all these fish? <laughs> Bad pussy. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, we're introduced to the whole concept of the Lecter decoding machine. Um, the Hannibal Lecter decoding well, machine. Well, if... Well, yeah, funny you say that. If you've read the book, it's actually the Spectre decoding machine, and clearly they had to change that, because that could get quite confusing. And there's also the mention of Smirsh from Rosa Clev, and she is kind of the one... Smirsh is the big bad, so from Russia with Love, it's not um, Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Can I ask, uh, in terms of the decoding machine, do we actually find out what it decodes? Well, yeah, I was going to bring that up later. <laughs> the whole concept of this decoding machine, it's, it looks like a typewriter. <laughs> what does it do? HTML? Like, does it <laughs> make it into simple... Like, something <laughs> that the entire world wants. It's really not clear on what this thing actually does. Like, does it just... Tr- Transcribe windings into um, <laughs> Times New Roman or uh, Colin? Do you know what the hell the, the lecture decoding machine actually does? Well, you you kind of have to read uh, up a lot on the book and the movie because even in the book it wasn't very clear. They just say a decoding machine. I think this is one of those things that gets lost through different generations because um, in the sixties, I'm assuming it was easy to understand. This was closer to World War Two, and most of the research. Uh, can bring you back to the the Enigma, uh, the, which was basically the first computer. And if anybody saw the movie Imitation Game, that's basically what it was about. So I guess coming off of World War II, this was like the original computer. So that's what Ian Fleming based this mm. on. I'm thinking future generations were too uh, uh, iPhone and uh, Windows-centered uh, to get that it could have been something so, so simple. So basically, at the end of the day, he's just stealing an iPad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I must have the latest technology. <laughs> I would love to, when when she when she hands up. I the must lecture, get Angry Birds. Yeah. 
Does this one come with Angry Birds? <laughs> Candy Crush is too small on my current device. Are there any fish games here? <laughs> yeah, I, God knows what James Bond would be doing on an iPhone, but not even jump into that. So. Can, can I use Snapchat? <laughs> Snapchat? 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 Special executive? <laughs> Snapchat personal... <laughs> Yeah. Um, moving on from that uh, kind of setup, and we've got Rosa Clay. We'll talk about her later. This almost the last thing Kronstein is in. Like for someone who's so integral to the story, we don't see much of it. Like I'm not sure if he even shows up again until his death. Does he after this? But um, after that, we're at Spectre Island. Spectre. Spectre. And Rosa here meeting with Red Grant, who's getting a massage. Um, and we recruit him, and I've written here, Rosa beating the shit out of Grant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with the, the, with the brass knuckles, like, <laughs> punch, oh, you're tough, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, why? <laughs> I just like that this is a whole island scene, isn't it, right, where they're going... Yeah, the, the, the best bit, and this to me is the perfect explanation as to why James Bond villains can't shoot straight, is that bloody thing in the door that's going left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Like, no wonder they can't shoot straight because they're used to targets going left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Yeah, I, I love the whole Spectre Island scene with the flamethrower and all the explosions and that. But, uh, yeah, so now we're introduced to Grant and the entire Spectre group, really. I, I, I think that uh, you mentioned something about just punching him in the gut. It's funny because there really is nothing else to his selection. She walks up, <laughs> she walks around him, she punches him in the gut, and then she says, he seems fit enough. Like, the fitness <laughs> test... They've got all these other things like, okay, if you want to kill somebody, you got to know how to hit a moving target. You have to shoot a flamethrower at a living human being. You've got to learn how to wear a mask. But when it comes down to their fitness, <laughs> it's just, can you take a punch to the stomach? Well, isn't that how Houdini dies? Like, come on, Rosa. Aren't you a fan of magic? <laughs> you could have killed him. That poor masseuse wouldn't know what to do. Um, I'm just waiting for it. What if it had gone differently? Or what if it had gone differently, too? What if he wasn't that fit? And she just punches him. <laughs> oh! <laughs> dies. Oh, well, fuck. We're screwed. I just, I was waiting for her to turn around at one point and say, oh, do pay attention, Red Grant. Like, it was very, like, Q-esque, like, oh, look at all our great gadgets we've got going on here. Oh, grow yeah. up, Red Grant. But, but Spectre really needs their own cue, don't they? <laughs> yes. That's oh, what happened to the old Boothroid from last film. That's where he pissed off, dude. Do pay attention, number three. <laughs> Boothroid works with Spectre now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so after that, uh, we cut to Tatiana Romanova. Am I saying that right? Tatiana? Tanya, we'll call yes. her. Um, in Turkey, <laughs> uh, meeting with Clev because apparently uh, Tanya <laughs> is really a good cipher and she'll do anything for Russia, so we need to get her to fall in love with James Bond by looking at a picture so she meets with Kleb in Turkey, and I've written here, Kleb's goofy glasses. Yes! <laughs> she had, like, party glasses on. It's like, remember like, the game... How bad guess, her eyes? Remember that game Guess Who, and you had to flick those little things, and there was that one character with those really, like, goofy glasses? <laughs> like, that's what she was wearing. 
Is your person a member of Spectre? <laughs> Spectre? <laughs> oh, well, that would be good. Bond, guess who? <laughs> is yours uh, a former North Korean who is now a white man? I... Hey, that's number three. Die another day. We're on a roll. Yeah, I think this is a really good scene. Of the... Even though it's all just set up, I think it's a good introduction to Tatiana and um, I also think there's a lot of Cleb in there as well, like... Uh, Kind of touching her up, like a bit of characterness <laughs> there with Cleb. It's Possibly interesting, the first isn't it? lesbian character in the film, well, uh, film yeah. series. How accepting are 1960s people of lesbians? Like, well, they're was... the bad guys, so they weren't well, accepting. And, and Russian as well. Like, I mean, this is just the epitome of evil in the 1960s. <laughs> Russian lesbians. But <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting they never um, explicitly state it. It's kind of just her kind of touching our. Uh, Tanya a bit, and they never really stated. Well, but I like I like this scene. Well, it's like in Skyfall, isn't it? When it's sort kind of like implied that he's like, you know, might be gay. Who knows? Like, I guess it's interpretation, really. But I like the um, I I like Tatiana how she's like going on about you know, oh, perhaps if he was kind, uh, like, it's like going on about, like, could you fall in love? Well, perhaps if he was kind, you will do anything he says. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it was very dead to the boat, Captain. Uh, yes. And what if I say no? Him. You will die. No, I don't think so. Do it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. she's, she's that boat captain's cousin, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, we really should comment a bit more on uh, Rose's Rose's classes, because uh, how does she see anything? I mean, when she's walking around, uh, when she's walking around Tatiana here, like, how do we know that she's not seeing Grant? She just punches Tanya in the stomach, and she's going, she doesn't seem fit enough. Bring me another one. Yeah. This is also uh, this is also where the plot does get complicated. Like you mentioned, like uh, how good this scene is, and this is one of the improvements that I think this movie actually has over the book. Because in the book, it was just a straight thing of well, the Russian government and you know the the British government are just working off each other. But this is like okay, well, she's working for Spectre, but she's still maintaining this cover that she's working for the Russian Secret Service. And Tanya's coming in, and she thinks she's doing it for the country, but they're really using her for Spectre. I mean, it's a very complicated plot, and I think they put it together nicely um, with, uh, with the fact that even Tanya doesn't know what she's doing in this movie. Can I just ask, where did they get a photo of James Bond from? Like, I mean, well, they're both freaking masks. Exactly. But I mean, like, again, Dr. how did... took it when he was tucking him into bed? Did, did he Trump take a selfie? Photo of James Bond. It was a photo <laughs> yeah. of the guy. It was a moustache guy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like this whole time, like they're going off like a photo. Like, oh, like, oh, he's sexy. And then, like, when James sees her, oh, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Like, it's, you know, like, I just love how readily available photos are in the 60s of just, like, people that you want to go after. Yeah, well, I don't even know how Cleb knows what he looks like, as, as we mentioned before. Like, when she was uh, stabbing him at the end, like, she was probably supposed to be going after someone else. Um... You don't have a moustache. Those glasses, I just, I can't get over, yeah, I can't get over the glasses, like, I just imagine Blofeld, number three, wear these, I can't see, wear them, okay, like, yeah, 
um, so that's pretty much all the setup, uh, other than M telling Bond his mission. So it gets more complicated as we go, but pretty much right now is they want to get and stop me <laughs> if I, if I'm wrong here, and I, I might need some help here. They the Spectre want to get the Lecter decoding machine Spectre to sell the Lecter. Uh, get the Lecter to sell to the Russians. Um, but they also want to catch James Bond and get revenge for Dr. No. And they're using um, someone from who's loyal to Russia to fall in love with him, but not really, just to gain his trust so that they can capture him. Is that everything up to this point in the film? I think so. Yeah. And if you if you analyse it like that, it's a pretty thin plot, a pretty thin plan, because at the end of the day, what if James Bond was like, oh, no, I prefer brunettes? And, like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plan over. <laughs> well, I was thinking that um, this is jumping ahead a bit, but we may as well mention it now. Um, when Red Grant dresses up as, I think his name is Captain Nash, is it? That yeah. plan falls through immediately if Bond has met Nash in the park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Nash. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, I think they've got a lot of good in their plan, but a lot of this is riding on luck. <laughs> the uh, fact that Bond is not um, But, Colin, is that all the plot so far? Is there anything I missed out there? No, I think you covered it. And as we mentioned before, 18 minutes in, and you talked, uh, Ben, how they brought in the uh, the vocal version of From Russia with Love. And On the radio, have, of course. <laughs> in, the, in the 60s car, and we have Trench, Sylvia Trench is back. Yay. Are like Bond's girlfriend, question mark? Yes, and what this is her last appearance, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. basically, I mean, it's it's an interesting setup because you know James Bond is womanizer. I mean, look, you know, we saw him go off happily ever after with Honey Rider, and then bang, new film, and he's back to Sylvia. So clearly, that relationship worked out well with um <laughs> with Honey. I think we should maybe Who knows anal- where Honey is now. We, we need to analyze in between each film, like how did they break up? <laughs> like <laughs> she was just so she just didn't want to leave Jamaica. Her little you know boat well, from we got home, and Miami. Sylvia was still playing. But, um, yeah, like, you know, to kind of have James Bond having this girlfriend who then, what, just gets disposed of as as he's off saving the world and doing other women. Um, But I I like this whole sort of scene and, oh, they're having a nice little romantic time and, surprise, surprise, they're eating again. And, um, you know, they've got a car phone and then James Bond gets a bit domestic on uh, Sylvia and slaps her away (laughs) before he ends up boning her in the back of the car. I'm reviewing an old case. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do we need to comment also on a? It's it's become very famous for Sean Connery's Chester, but we need to comment about how his leg hair is like <laughs> twice as thick as his head. <laughs> Was it a hairpiece on his legs too? Yeah. <laughs> is it is it um, original Connery as we established <laughs> yeah, exactly? <last> week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hairpiece on his legs, but I, I love the scene and. Uh, initially, Sylvia was actually supposed to be in a lot more of the films, and this would be a running gag that she's there at the start and Bond always leaves. So, um, I kind of sad they didn't do that. I think it may have got a bit repetitive, but I think that could have been quite good if they had kept that on for a few more films. Yeah, I think it would have been a great idea. I mean, every time that uh, she appears, like when I watch Doctor Noah from Russia with Love, I'm always wondering, I'm like, what would it have been like? 
if she was in Goldfinger? You know, did it did it ultimately just come down to, well, they couldn't find a way to work her into Goldfinger, and they thought maybe we'll bring her back, and then maybe by the time they got to Thunderball, she wasn't available. But it would have been a great idea. I think that's something that they could even try dusting off for the Daniel Craig movies or any future James Bond movie. Well, I actually heard a rumor that she was meant to be in Die Another Day, but they got Madonna instead. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so much better if Sylvia Trench was in that film. No thanks, I don't like cockfights. <laughs> Is this the only appearance of Nikki in this film? Yeah, well, no, she does the, um, says she does the voice of the uh, hotel clerk. When oh, she... yes, that's right, I did read that, yeah. I like how on um, uh, Wikipedia... It says, Eunice Gason and Sylvia Trench Bond's semi-regular girlfriend. <laughs> and um, one thing I wrote down is this is it takes place six months after Dr. No. There was a line in there. So I wonder if throughout the films we can track the timeline. Probably not, but they didn't mention that it's been six months, which is kind of interesting. Well, and then why did he wait six months to call her back, too? Because last <laughs> time this, you went to Jamaica. Or does he just... <laughs> Frequently, whenever he gets bored of her, run off to Jamaica to visit. Well, I think I think it's a guilt trip. Um, he he's been on a lot of missions, and then he finally went back to that casino and he saw her again. And, oh God! <laughs> Come on to the park, let's go. It's it's just he. It, let's be honest. She's not a semi regular girlfriend. She's his fuck buddy. <laughs> yeah. Well. I mean, what, twice in six months? Yeah, well, <laughs> the 60s it's were a different time, pace. Colin. It's the swinging 60s, but, you know. Well, he's been busy. Honey kept him. Honey rode him a bit. Uh, he was busier no. with Miss Terrell in one night than he's been with Trench in six months. <laughs> you were really impressed with that uh, double Miss Terrell. <laughs> well, I want to know. I, I want to know if that's going to be the only time we get James Bond getting like a couple of goes of the same woman in one night. Like... It won't be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the end of Sylvia. I'm a bit sad that that's the last time we'll ever see her, and we get the line uh, make that an hour and a half, which <laughs> will become a recurring gag throughout the different films. Uh, probably most notably uh, Living Daylights, but. Yeah, that's a whole fun scene. Introduction to Bond, eighteen minutes into the frickin' thing. Uh, any parting words on Sylvia? Because we'll never get to see her ever again now. I'm sure that she is. She moved on, happy with her life, got married, and had lots of kids, and um, lived happily ever after. No, that's. I'll sweet. say, I'll say, uh, this is the end for Sylvia Trench. But Nikki's Vanderzil will return. <laughs> will return. <laughs> Hotel clerk. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Into the film. I'm disappointed she actually didn't get to voice Tatiana. I mean, Barbara Jeffrey, Jefford. I mean, come on, who's she yeah. compared to Nikki Vanderzeel? Yeah, what a joke. Um, and we return to MI6, and we have the second hat throw in the film. Uh, Bond cracking a line, and M being in the office at the same time. Um, and him getting the mission about the letdown, he has to meet with Kerem Bey, head of Station T in Turkey. And last time we talked about the um, op- the introductions of M and Moneypenny. This time, out with the Boothroyd, in with the Q, who's oh. credited as Boothroyd, but it's Q. It's Q, it's Desmond uh, Llewellyn. For the first ever scene, and we love Q, um, 
quite bland. Like, it's very just, yes, and here's this and this and this. He didn't want to be there. Like, if you watch that, he's like, is that all, sir? And he buggers off. Like, he looks so, like, like he was watching, I don't know, I Dream of Genie or something, and they just, like, brought him in. He's like, yeah, an ordinary black leather case. Is that all, sir? And he just goes away. Well, and this yeah. is in the middle of the day, too. I mean, the old Boothroyd would have no problem coming with enthusiasm at <laughs> 3 in the morning. He happily arrived at 3 a.m. <laughs> can I just point out, we got a Star Wars quote. Did we pick that up? It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to keep playing that. It's a that's, trap. That's a good point. Like, uh, Desmond Llewellyn kind of looks old in this film, and this is his first appearance. <laughs> He's getting cranky. In the middle well, of the day, Boothroyd's coming in in his jammies at night time. Well, how old? Let's find out how old he was. Sorry, keep going, guys. Yeah, but he was. Uh, we love Q, but this is definitely still very much setting him up. He won't come into fruition, fruit, uh, forget it, until fruition. Fruition. fruition, that's the one, until next film. But uh, it's still great to see Q here. He was 49. Yeah, so that's his first appearance. <laughs> wow. Jesus Christ! And to the world is done enough. So. That's incredible. You're like, um, okay, is it incredible that he was that old, or incredible that like a man was 49 years old and still working? <laughs> <laughs> I meant like 49 and still alive in 1963. <laughs> um, we we cannot skip this scene without talking about the attaché case. Um, Oh. Probably the first, the first gadget is it? Would you call the first? Yeah, well, series of gadgets. But yeah, I would argue this is the first uh, real gadget in the film, and it's really cool. I love it. Well, after the Geiger counter and Doctor No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's great, and um, I love like because this is what's so good about how the setup comes with these. How like you know to open the case, you've got to do it this way, otherwise it, you know we'll set yeah. off the, the gas. I was just thinking, what if Bond got it wrong there and then? This is just the end. <laughs> but I just think, what if he forgot? Like he comes home drunk back to his hotel in Turkey. <laughs> like, oh, I just want to change into something comfortable. Boof! Oh fuck! <laughs> Shall we open my case? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Oh, I don't know. Just flick the flick the switches. <laughs> flick the damn thing. But you know, it's it's great to kind of have this set up, and again, um, as I sort of said at the top, you know, setting up these staple parts of what are Bond films. You know, get your mission, go visit Q, get your gadget, and off you pop. And um, yeah, no, it's it's great to to sort of have that, and to have like all like this is just a freaking case, and to have like you know gas and what they gold bullions or whatever that what are they gold oh, 50 um gold sovereigns sovereigns that's the word i'm looking for um and yeah no i i and he still managed to fit in basically all his clothes into that tiny little suitcase have you seen the size of suitcases that we have to take now when you go on holidays that is like a quarter of the size of an average person's suitcase and like uh we talked about the jamaican security but did no one uh <laughs> check this case <laughs> smuggling coins and guns and like what happened if the guy at the airport opens the case well I, it's also funny when he shows bond how to open it because it almost comes across like we don't get the cute personality but it almost comes across as condescending it's like you, you know you just turn it here and then open and then when bond's doing it he's like so it, it almost is like a little bit too like third grade ish like all right so i turn this and i open like it, it's the most complicated gadget yeah, have a in the sticker. history of bond it does 45 <laughs> different things but it's like just turn it and then open 
yeah, I love the case, and I also love that everything in it pretty much comes into play in the one scene. <laughs> but yeah, it's really cool. And fifty gold sovereign sovereigns. I did do the research, except I'm getting quite lost in my notes here. If I find it, I will say the amount. But I believe it's around two thousand uh, American dollars. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. How no, much 2000, is that in can- two thousand pounds in olden day money. <laughs> What about Canadian? How much is that Canadian? Well, they're, they're just giving up after that embarrassing chess tournament. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, how how many crab key seashells is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not get into this again. And after he received his mission, I thought this was really forced. The writing from Russia with love onto the photo that yes. money and he had. With uh, I, I didn't like this bit. With love from Russia. Yeah, it's you know, it was a little bit too much. And does that basically him admitting he's in love with Money Penny? Like, <laughs> well, Maybe. no. I mean, cause it is it is like a picture of Tanya, so it would be her writing with love from Russia because she's the Russian. So oh, if anything, she's the one in love with Money Penny. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, hello, new yeah, well, film. That's that's a, that's a lesbian relationship, I'd write. <laughs> That, that is Muddy Petty's uh, semi-girlfriend. Uh, Tanya appears every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, I don't, yeah. I don't want to dwell. I don't want to dwell too much on you know just how out of place the whole writing for Rush with Love thing is in there because it is out of place and it it does feel like well we don't know how to explain the title of our movie or they felt like at this point you have to explain Ian Fleming titles like Ian Fleming titles are just gibberish <laughs> most of the time. But it is kind of sad that this is the end of what is probably one of the best scenes between uh, Bond and Moneypenny. Like, their whole exchange yeah. for both of the scenes that are before and after his meeting with M is great. So uh, it could have had a, a better a better ending to it than this. And the nuzzling, when they're nuzzling up to each other, and um, it's like cats. And I, 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 The thing is, like, when he says, like, oh... Don't get him to leave the photo. I'm sure he does. Like, what if, again, he didn't remember what she looked like? <laughs> like, again, you're putting a lot of trust. And this is the whole thing with the mission, which I just want to quickly say, is that I love how these are like the, the, the top-notch British spies. And at the end of the day, they're going on a hunch that a hot chick will lead them to this. Like, And even they're saying, like, oh, it's a trap. Like, yet they just go along with it. Like, well, oh. I actually... No, I, I, I got to disagree with you. That's what I like about this is that in this movie, everybody knows that the other side's trying to play them. It's just how yeah. do we figure out at some point how we're going to get the upper hand? Well, and, Spectre, uh, yeah, Spectre even says in the opening scene with Clep and Cronstein that uh, the British spies, they love a trap. They'll go into a trap. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there's even a mention of that. So, I, yeah, I... Things I agree with Colin that but, it is completely absurd, but I do love that everyone's against everyone in this film. But again, at the end of the day, if if their entire point of this is to avenge the death of their beloved Doctor No, then like, wouldn't the <laughs> simplest case be, oh, she's in bed naked, oh, we're filming them, well, why do, instead of filming them, don't we just fucking kill him? <laughs> <laughs> Done! Well, That's it! Need- you win! <laughs> Well, also, again, going back to the book for a second, um, it should be noted two things. One, that uh, when they were originally conceiving this plan, they wanted to figure out how they could disgrace MI6. 
and they thought about using M, but then they immediately dismissed as no, he's too old for a sexual scandal. <laughs> so they their backup was Bond, but uh, also you know the the whole idea of um, whether you know he would recognize without the picture in the book he didn't even have a picture, which was even more awkward because when she shows up in bed, he's like, "Are you Tatiana Romanova?" And she's like, "No, uh, yeah, like maybe." No, Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's just it felt a lot um, forced to me. Maybe more forced than Timothy Dalton saying, we must have scared the living daylights out of her. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, and we had the recurring joke of leave, leave the photo and leave the gun. Um, but, yeah, I agree with Colin... I think the Bond money piece scenes probably go downhill from here. I don't remember every single one, and we, we tracked that, but I think this is probably the first two are probably some of the best, and let's well, not even get into more in money. Oh, well, I, I, you know, not necessarily. I mean, in Die Another Day, when she's got oh. the uh, virtual oh. reality machine. <laughs> Dead money. <laughs> we have anything left to talk about by the time we reach Die Another Day. We're going to get to Die Another Day, and we're like, okay, we've covered that movie. It's let's go to Casino Royale. I plan to just talk about five minutes of it each one so we can skip it when we get to it. All right, I'll shut up now about the Die Another Day. Yeah, but m- moving into it, and um, we're in, in, in Istanbul, Istanbul. Um, this is a freaking Instagram. Um, <laughs> in- Instagrammable. Yeah, Bond in the pickup car. Very similar to Doctor No. Like doesn't people... check this time though. He only does the uh, lighter quote, and that's enough for him. Yeah, but people snooping around and Bond in the car. Um, but I think it's a great scene how they're being followed, and they're, oh, they always follow us. There, we follow them. Like it's really good. That, that little touch in there really doesn't have too much of the plot other than building upon this world, but I really liked this whole bit. And the whole bit in terms of, yeah, people <laughs> sort of snooping around, again, like, do, do James Bond's flight details constantly get leaked? Like, how... I mean, I, I realise the other guys are spies too, technically, but... I don't know, like, there was no internet back in 1963, so... Is there, there's like, one daily flight from, flight from London each day, that's, that's enough to le- go on? <laughs> yes, it just gets the flight details. But I'm, I'm not sure what you guys think, but I was thinking about this today, and I actually think from Russia With Love, is out of all the films, this one really feels like you're stepping into a world that's already existed there, and the Bond's just a small part of this entire world of spies like Karen Bay is the head of Station T, and then there's Spectre in there, but there's the Russians, and there's people going head-to-head, there's the Gypsies. I just feel like they do a really, really good job of building upon this From Russia With Love world that I don't think they ever top after this film i'm not sure what you guys think about it's a good point because i guess with like dr no it's it's not really portrayed that way is it and yeah like you've got a few cayman islanders and there's the local british chat professor and that but it's really it's just bonds turning up in jamaica and there's a few people we're not quite sure if they're asian or if they're jamaican or whatever like but i feel like this one you're really into this world 
And like with Karen Bay and like how they've got the whole set up then and we see it how he's, you know, got the periscope up into, you know, <laughs> the, which we'll get to, of course. Um, there's a whole thing about that. But yeah, like it, you're right. And it's it's an interesting part of it and how it all plays out with it. And yeah, you probably would be hard pressed to find, I guess, another film where they really do it so successfully. Yeah, there's there's an entire Cold War going on just locally there in Istanbul, <laughs> and uh, it, it comes up several times throughout the movie, and that's another one of those things that's not only going on in the background, but it's this extra layer where, okay, well, is Spectre trying to manipulate this Cold War? So there's a lot going on in this movie, but unlike some other movies that I've seen this week that may or may not be called Terminator Genesis that overcomplicate <laughs> things to the point where uh, you don't, don't get me started on. on Terminator Genesis. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Well, okay. Well, we'll save don't you that. Save you so, money. Uh, <laughs> can I just, can I, I'll, I'll just, um, to avoid myself getting spoiled, I guess there's time travel involved and needing to stop the future. Yeah, well... <laughs> I'm not really well, sure the movie I'm ended. not sure <laughs> oh oh okay but, Terminator Oz coming soon that, that's not a hint of I'm not sure that's literally I'm not sure C- come with me if you want to live Oz coming soon <laughs> yeah, yeah, with this with one though I mean there's a lot going on but they they find a way to tie all the stories together and again adding the extra element of Spectre being in control made this more complicated than the book but it's still enjoyable. And like you said, it does feel like it's a completely different world. And I like that where Bond is constantly having to be explained all these things by Karen Bay. Like, you know, okay, well, this is what happens now. And this is what happens when we drive. And there's there's a lot going on that even Bond has no clue about by the end. Yeah, I just feel like um, a week before Bond arrives there, I can picture all this going on. And it's not just like the action starts Bond arrives. I feel like this is there before he's there, during and after he's gone. Like they never really solve it. They get the lector, but they never really solve the whole Cold War. Like everything's still going on. And then you take a film like Goldfinger. I know Goldfinger is a different film, but then Goldfinger's dead. The end. That's Spoiler. <laughs> well, do you want me to give you Terminator Genesis spoilers instead? Um, <laughs> your choice. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've always thought, um, maybe this is a really random thing to say, but I feel like From Russia With Love could make a really great one-season TV series of 10 to 12 episodes because there's just so many different characters and the book is, does a lot better job at telling their backstories, Red Grand and all that. There's just so much going on that it could really benefit from a TV series, miniseries, whatever. But maybe I'm just dreaming too much about things like that. Well, I think the will-they-won't-they-love story between Rosa and Tatiana would be um, a ratings <laughs> winner. Or Money Penny. <laughs> the love triangle. <laughs> no, you are right, because even as a sequel, I mean, there's so much that would happen after this. Like, you said, oh, well, you know, the, the whole Cold War thing's not really gone away. If anything, it's worse, because now there's been bombings on both sides, and neither the Russians uh, or the Turks are really responsible for this. Spectre gets away with it in the end, but what happens as soon as this movie ends? Like, is there war between Russia and Turkey? Yeah, it's very uh, non-conclusive other than the lector and killing Rosa with a chair. A spoiler. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's just something I was thinking a lot about the whole world of this film, and I don't think they've ever really done that again. And maybe sometimes they're not trying to do that again, but 
it's something that I really like about this film. But enough of that. Um, where were we? We were in the pickup car, and we meet Karen Bay, or Colin Bay, if you will. Um, it's, I, I've always heard a lot of people love Karen Bay, and I've never been the biggest fan until this rewatch where I couldn't get enough of Karen Bay. They're like, let's have Karen Bay in every scene. I loved Karen Bay. <laughs> I like the fact that Karen Bay has about 800 sons. And like, yeah, well, <laughs> he loses track of them. Like that bit where they're in the street later on with the sniper. I'm like, oh, they're two of my sons. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's who mustache I, I was. <laughs> yeah, it might have been. Well, um, yeah, well, the book was like 10 or something, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I've written, this is jumping ahead, but when they're on the train, because I, I noticed that too, uh, uh, Ben, and what was the line in the, on the train? Um, uh, w- when we get to it, uh, I'll mention it, but it did make me laugh in terms of, oh, he said, I like big families myself. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I like <laughs> people in Turkey are your children. <laughs> and I like I like his um, line when he's like, taps his nose and he's like, my old friend of mine, something smells. And I'm thinking, did Bond let rip? <laughs> but yeah, I, I did mention that too. It's like, that was one of my children. <laughs> I trust my sons. Yeah, well, it was just like, it was... Uh, I have to ask you then, Noah, that you you, you do... You, you're a big Karen Bay fan then. Okay, then. Who would you choose between Karen Bay and Quarrel? Oh, Quarrel, hands down. Like... Maybe. You, yeah, maybe I'll choose Coral, but you can't beat uh, someone getting slashed in the face and then still wanting to break <laughs> this girl's arm. <laughs> and I still believe he's burning in that jungle. In, uh, I feel... Crab key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> rest in peace, Quarrel. Um, <laughs> probably Quarrel, but if you had to say someone who I'd trust my life with in terms of Cold War Turkey, probably Bay. but I think I personally like Quarrel. I'm going to... Ship that question back to you then, Ben Ankle. You can't go past Quarrel. Like, it's Quarrel. <laughs> like, he likes Not people break who are, arm. He likes people who are friends with people. Like, you know. So he would <laughs> like... He would give Quarrel a big hug. He would like Karen because he's friends with his nose. So like... Now, that's the spin-off I want to see. <laughs> There's your TV show. <laughs> Quarrel and Karen Bay. Quarrel and Karen. What's our what's our uh, crime to solve this week? Uh, quarrel is it something about terrorism? Maybe. <laughs> I I I find I, I'm kind of with you, Noah. I think that Quarrel is definitely the more fun character. Uh, Karen Bay is not only probably the most dangerous character uh, that we have of any of Bond's associates, but he's. He's the, definitely the most well-developed character. I mean, I, I'm struggling to think of any other Bond sidekicks or uh, even some villains that have as much development in the movie. And obviously there's more development in the book for all these characters, as you were saying. But he's such a well-developed character and you know so much about him and he has so much screen time. And uh, Obviously, we're going to get a little bit more into the actor, uh, Pedro Armendariz, later. But I don't know if maybe it was because this was his final movie that they left so much in as a tribute to him? I don't know. What do you think? That could be it, but I guess, um, like you mentioned earlier, Karam is very integral to the plot because he basically tells Bond everything that happens in the movie. Oh, this is this, this is this, this is this. So I think 
while Quarrel is great, <laughs> sorry to keep bringing up Quarrel, but while he's great as a Bond buddy, I feel like Karam is very much important to the plot of this world, as I keep bringing up. So I feel like it could have something to do with that, but I also think he was a very important character who's not one of the uh, bad guys. Well, then the next question would be, who's a better character? Uh, Quarrel, or sorry, um, uh, uh, Karen Bay's mistress or Pussfella? <laughs> How far down the line are we going to get role, here? Right? <laughs> We're going to keep going down, down, down to it's like a guy who jumps off the dock in <laughs> Dr. No and uh, Karen Bay's son. Well, Karen, Karen uh, Bay also. Pussfella every day, but I would maybe like the other girl at Pussfella's bar, perhaps. Ooh. Karen Bay, uh, also one of Istanbul's number one rug sellers. He doesn't get enough credit <laughs> <Yeah>. for that. <laughs> I, in I, the rug market. I love the, uh, doesn't Bond mention uh, that? Like, yeah. Why don't you sell rugs? Like, Thank <laughs> you, racist Bond. <laughs> Put one on my head. Not <laughs> everyone in Turkey sells rugs, Bond. <laughs> well, according to this movie, I think they do. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of Cold War Turkey, um, all the spies are rug sellers. Yes. Like everyone in the city is just making rugs. Um, yeah. Uh, do you think the question I had is: Is Karen Bay the most, or one of the most? Uh, what's the word? Um, not thought out, uh, well developed of the allies besides Felix Leiter. I think yeah. he is. Well, even with Felix, I mean, if you combine all of his movies, you may get up to the Karen Bay level. But I can't think of anybody else that comes close in j- just a single movie. And and I think kind of with how much you're talking about, like the screen time and everything that he gets too. Um, I mean, it it's just it's it's all it all adds to it. And also, like as you were saying too, in terms of how integral he is into the plot. I think you'd find with a lot of the other ones that, you know, sure, they're, they're slightly integral to the plot. I mean, you would argue that he probably would be the most integral to any plot of any of the Bond movies, just with how much he's in it and how much he plays a role in what's going on out there. Yeah, I would agree with that. And let's start a petition to get Pussfella to relocate to <laughs> Turkey. <laughs> like they, they ditched Sylvia each film and they just had Pussfella's bars showing up. He's starting a franchise. Uh, showing up all around the world for Bond to visit. But I think that's enough for Karen Bay. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about him before the end of this episode. But kind of skipping a bit of over this plot now, um, we have Bond at the hotel doing his little search and trying to get the uh, bride suite, which will come into play. Um, <laughs> and well, I'll have... add something on that really quickly. Again, if we just want to talk oh, about yeah. complicating the plot, uh, that gets even more complicated because this is the first time maybe in any of the either of the Bond movies that have come up at this point where Bond is outsmarted because they placed a bugging device in there knowing that he's going to yeah. uh, request a new room, but they want him to request a new room, and they even try to throw him off by saying, oh, but it's the bridal suite you won't want, and Bond thinks he's outsmarted them. So this is where, as I was saying earlier, the whole movie is about, well, each side knows they're playing each other, but who can get one over on them, and Spectre just got one over on Bond here. Either that, or he wants a free sex tape. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which I think we know the answer to that. 
Yeah, that's what the lector decoding machine does. Um, it's uh, it's for porn. Like, I mean, they didn't have very good internet back then, and it's just it's just carrying porn. Uh, we mentioned uh, what what's she credited as? Karen Bay's lone girlfriend or whatever it was. Lonely girlfriend. Yeah, lonely <laughs> horny girlfriend. Yeah, some very <laughs> revealing camera angle shots with her character, and just adding to Karen Bay's character development really can like, i can i interrupt really quickly and just back up did we miss the bit where they um he drops the body off at the embassy was that not before we got the doctor no? yeah we talked about this last week man <laughs> no no the um no the, when red drops he gets he gets <laughs> out of the car he gets out of the car then he gets into kleb's car and drives off and there was the body oh, at, yes. that sort of didn't that happen between the hotel room and the no, you are yeah, right. I know sorry. what I thought you were talking about. about bomb. Just, no, 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 I yeah, sorry. Places in the movie. Who, um, yeah, yeah, who is, is that body? Yeah. Am I am I dumb in not to realise who that was? Um, Karen Bay's son. <laughs> <laughs> One of them. <laughs> I think it's just supposed to be random turkey guy who was a part of the group. Uh, Colin, do you know? It was a real-life rug seller that he mistakenly thought was a spy. <laughs> Sold him yeah. a dodgy rug. <laughs> he had Pledge glasses on, so he got the wrong guy. This isn't the magic carpet in Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, um... Yeah, if you know who that is, write us in. We'd well, like I would to... like, seriously would like to know, because I've written that down here and I've sort of underlined it, because it, it, it was bothering me for so long. I'm like, are we meant to know who that person is that's dead? Like, who is that? I'm surprised Bond never made a Thanksgiving pun while he was in Turkey all this time. You'd think he's killing he a, a Christmas one. Um, no turkey for Thanksgiving or something because <laughs> he kills the Turkish guy. Like, missed opportunity. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> well, no, Don't I was bring that up again. <laughs> your, your, your Sean Connery seems to be sounding a lot like Richard Nixon for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do impressions, all right? Schmucker. Um, I'll be back. Uh, <laughs> Joe Curry in Terminator. I'll be back. Star, baby. Schmucker. I'll be Schmucker. Moving on. Yeah, I think it's random Turkish guy to incite hate and war. But you're right, that, that scene did occur during that bit. Um, all these scenes kind of cut together quite a fast-paced section of the movie with uh, Red dropping off the guy, switching cars, uh, Karen Bay's lone girl, and the explosion at Karen Bay's, and, which leads to, and we already mentioned this scene briefly before, Bond and Karen going down into the underground reservoir, which, beautiful set. I'm not sure if it was even a set or if it was a real location or what, but I loved that set. And looking through the periscope into the consulate, I think, and the general's room, and we have the general shouting at Krilin, Krilin, I think I'm pronouncing that right. A Bulgarian enemy, as he is uh, described. He kills for pleasure, as Karen would say. <laughs> and you have Bond perving on Tanya through the telescope. So this whole little underground reservoir scene. I like, I love the line from Karen Bay when they're going through there and he's like, this is my daily exercise. He's like barely moving. Like he's just like... <laughs> Lightly stroking the well, paddle. Skinniest guy. Yeah, well, well I will. 
we know what's going on with his mistress. If this is his exercise, like, no wonder she's so horny. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I love the set. It's amazing whether it's a set or it's real. It's, I mean, I sort of, I was reading about that a lot of this was actually filmed on location. There was very few bits that were filmed at Pinewood. Yeah. So, um, so I, I assume it might be real, but it's, I, I like the sort of the setup of it and how they've got all this, you know, like, oh, I've got this bit to really sort of spy in there. But the thing that just bothered me the whole time with it, like, you see him extend the periscope up and you see sort of how clear it is. Like, how is it that they've got this through the floor? Like, this is like a periscope from a submarine. It's not exactly that, you know, invisible. Like, how do these Russians this not another see another case it? of them double-crossing them with, like, um, there's a massive... Periscope and they're pretending they don't know it's there, but then they cut to the console and you just see this massive, clearly obvious. And Karen thinks he's being all sneaky, but they yeah. really know it's there. But and that's I a do, good point. And I do love it. You mentioned he went Bond's perving on Tatiana. I love how he's like, oh, yes. And he, he lets her like a little, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Karen, you might want to leave, mate. Uh, Bond needs some alone time. <laughs> Yeah, an interesting thing about this scene is that, again, I think almost anybody you talk to who's seen this movie loves this scene, and it probably does come down to just the location and the idea of it, because what is the purpose of the scene? Like, the movie could easily exist without it, and it's not like, he's like, Bond, I have to show you something. It's like, well, Bond learns nothing new. He's seen, you know, Tanya from the knees down now, so it's like, well, now I know how to recognize her, you know? Like, like the hair in the flesh. There's, yeah, well, there's there's no purpose to the scene, but yet it's such a good scene. And well, maybe it's the location, or maybe it is, like you said, the idea of the scene, because there is all this stuff where, you know, there's so much backstory that you're not even getting on screen, like Karim saying, oh, I do this every day at 3 o'clock, or 9 and 3, I think he says twice a day, and you wonder, it's like, well, why? But <laughs> it's, it's, it is such a great scene, so maybe it is a location. Well, I think... And, yeah, now you have me questioning that because, obviously, um, it is to kind of just show who the bad guys are, kind of, to Karen, but it kind of introduces Krilenku, I can't say it properly, um, who is, obviously, Karen's, not nemesis, but one of his rivals. But then, now that I'm thinking about it, that whole character doesn't really have much purpose to the overall plot other than to being someone that... Karim ends up shooting. Um, so you make a good point. Is a lot of this is just as I was saying, the world. There's a lot of stuff going on here that's just nothing to do. Well, I won't say nothing, but little to do with the whole Lecter thing or Spectre, Spectre and Lecter. <laughs> but it's just all there as part of the world, and that's really one of the positives of this film. Um, yeah. I think that this is like where I was saying this is probably the most suspenseful Bond movie. And when you think about it, it's such a simple story, but a lot of it comes down to, like you just said, it's it's just building the world. And how can you really be invested just in a plot to steal a typewriter? But you can be <laughs> invested in knowing that, yeah, an iPad. But you can be invested in knowing that, well, in stealing this, there's potentially going to be a war that develops between these two government factions that are basically right next door to each other. Um, I think we were robbed of not having from Russia with love part two. <laughs> now, that, now that I'm not even joking. Now that we're talking about it, there's so much more I want to see of what happened next. Um, 
-hmm. I'm really getting invested in this. Um, but obviously, it's not safe for Bond to stay at the hotel after this big explosion. So Karam has to take him to <laughs> Gypsy Camp. <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene really. Um, Apart from the end of it, this whole scene is a bit WTF. Although I guess again, adding to the world, Karam uh, obviously has a lot of gypsy friends, and we get to see a gypsy fight that really has a lot to do with the main plot. Um, this is the most important part of the entire film: Ben gypsy fight. I think at the end of the day, it serves two purposes: for Bond to have a threesome and to get a new father. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What was I that have... guy's name? I don't think I wrote it. Oh, uh, Vavra. But he, Vavra... <laughs> goes, Vavra. To me, it's like one of the best lines of this movie when they've they got the whole situation where we've got, like, the belly dancer and, you know, rubbing up against Bond. And, you know, that was a 1963 lap dance, I think. And then, you know, Bond turns to, to Karen Bay and is all like, oh, I'd like to tell him I'd like to thank him for his hospitality. <laughs> and then, like, Karen Bay says it and he's like, thank you, thank you. Ah... <laughs> just the way he says it it's like thank you thank you ah. I, I, I honestly burst out laughing at that moment and yeah, I was same. convinced nobody else would bring it up but it's so funny because the guy's voice is insane too like he's like thank you thank you I'm like is Jeff this guy like the love child of Fozzie Bear and Cookie Monster <laughs> as voiced by Nicky Van Der Zyl. Um. <laughs> yeah. this is the voice what what you were doing last time, Ben? Somebody <laughs> yes. is not dubbed for Nikki Vanderzil. We'll leave so one is... person without the original voice. This movie it ends up. Thank you, thank you. Ah, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, I think you're <laughs> <laughs> like Jar Jar. Misha, so happy to see everyone. <laughs> ben, no. <laughs> Come so on, what, is it, it, die another day or Jar Jar Binks, Noah? Or Terminator oh. Genesis. None of them. <laughs> What's my take on what? Uh, the gypsy fight. Yeah, like, it, it doesn't really feel like it belongs, but, it, again, it's such a cool scene, and I think we have to, again, go back to 1962, 1963, when movies were going to these exotic locations, you were looking at somebody standing in front of a projector, that was showing some stock footage that was shot 20 years earlier. And these movies went to the real locations. And part of the appeal that even the Ian Fleming books always had was that Ian Fleming had been to all these countries and he would write about these cultures and pre internet or, you know, discovery channel. I mean, people in 1963 hadn't seen what a gypsy camp was. And it was kind of like, well, we're going to show you, you know, authentic look of Turkey, whether, there really are, you know, girls in gypsy camps that are fighting over a guy. Who knows? But uh, it's a cool little scene to see that there's something different from, like, the politics that we're seeing in the city. And, uh, you know, the, the fight scene was pretty vicious. I mean, not again, not nearly as vicious as in the book. But, uh, you know, you have to tone the violence level down. But it, it's, it's all fun. And uh, in a very complicated movie with a complicated plot, this was kind of a nice little interlude where... You get away from it. You just get to laugh a little bit. Either that or they just wanted two hot women jumping on each other. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, they're fighting over one man, like who gets married. And, just, and, and they just I'm have sex with the one at the same time. <laughs> and this is yeah. Martin Beswick here too. So is it really two girls fighting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> after that kind of pointless but fun scene, 
we have to mention this scene. Probably the best of the film, or maybe not the best, but it's up there. And arguably the first big group fight scene of the entire series. You could count the encounter at Dr. No's lair with everyone jumping around, but that's not really a battle. But this is really the first battle in Bond, and it is so epic. And you've got Red in, in the mountains, you've got people, the Bulgarians everywhere. Those Bulgarians. <laughs> Vavra doesn't know what to do. Like it, it's really a great scene. Probably one of the top three highlights of the film for me. And I think also when we get to the end of this episode and we start doing our kiss kiss bang bang count, I, I'm sure we might have differing yeah, counts on this. This got a bit confusing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there was there was two. I think there's two bits in this film. This and later on when he blows up all the people in yeah, the boat. The boat which, yeah. Where I think we're going to be like, oh, well, we're going to have to come up with a number here because it's a bit confusing. But I agree with you and sort of thinking about this sort of overall bit of whether it's, you know, fits into the movie or not. I think it obviously sets up later on when Red kind of says like, oh, I saved your life at the, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. And I think it was filmed really well as well. Like, I mean, look, we can yeah, I was going to say that holds up. Yeah, it does. It does. And, like, you can shit all over 1963 filming styles as much as you like. But, I mean, watching that, that is about as good as you will get in any modern film in terms of a bunch of people storming a camp and shooting the shit out of each other. I thought it, I still think it was a very well-executed scene that they filmed for that. I'm going to uh, talk we'll a lot about it. this guy uh, later on when we get to the fight scene on the train, but... Uh, the editor of the first five Bond movies, I'm a huge fan of editing, and the editor, Peter Hunt, I mean, he created a new style with this movie of action. And prior yeah. to this, if you even look at any action movie prior to this, including Dr. No, fight scenes, action scenes happen with long shots, and you might get two or three of them. And there's this fast-cutting style that the reason this holds up is because people are still editing movies like this to this day, and Doctor For Marshall With Love is where that started. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking, who's Doctor from Russia with Love? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're really pushing to get the new Doctor No after his death. Um, Doctor yeah, Clip. Well, that's what we we also didn't mention, which we really should have at the top of the show, um, that Terence Young, obviously returning from Doctor No, and like I said last week, where everything improves, you just see the improvement, and of course we can't uh, discount anything from Peter Hunt, but you just see everyone is much more experienced with what this Bond film is going to be a second time around. And um, you mentioned the train scene, which a lot to talk about with that, which is a, just a beautiful cinematic scene, disregarding whether or not it's Bond or not. But yeah, this fight scene, as I said, it, it holds up. And like Colin said, probably because they still use this film style, but I just love, you've got everyone in there and it's going up. Is this one of the best group big fights in Bond history? And we already mentioned Karen Bay, one of the most thought-out uh, allies. Is this one of the best fights in? I would say so. Yeah, I agree. Um, and after that, Ben, I think you mentioned it, uh, Bond then gets the, to pick the, out of the two girls after he saves the day. And, and who does he choose? Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the only Bond threesome? Hmm. Uh, well, I, I don't know if you could count You Only Live Twice. We'll have to rewatch when we get there. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And, and it, it's pretty vague at the time. Like, I was going into this not really having 
like having seen the movie even recently within the last few months prior to watching this, I didn't really think that anything happened. But then when you watch the scene, I mean, it is very clear, although, you know, Bond, uh, 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 the next morning, you know, <laughs> it's, you, you kind of have to read into it a little bit, basically. Um, but if you are looking closely enough, I mean, clearly, you know what happened. Well, that's the thing, and he gets laid a lot, this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wrote in my note, Bond becomes Vavra's son. What the fuck? <laughs> this, that whole bit, you are not my son. <laughs> uh, okay, I think I'm going to go now. Who is he, Karen Bay? Is that how he gets all his kids? You are not my son. Is it a Turkish thing? The name's Vavra. Vavra Jr. <laughs> Vavra Jr.? Um, I wrote, is this out of character? Bond's one request is that they stop the girl find. Is that out of character or in character for Bond? Maybe he just knew he was going to get laid out of it. So maybe he's like, well, what good are they to be injured? I don't know, it just seemed right up his creek to watch this girl fight going on. But, um, yeah, he wanted it stopped. Yeah, you robbed us there, Sean. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, I don't next... think he's complaining. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> next scene is also one of my favourites of the film. Like, it continues to deliver, and it is when Karen Bay has to kill Krillent... I can never say this guy's name. Krillent... Krillenku. Krill... What is it? Krillenku. Krillenku. The Bulgarian assassin. Yeah, <laughs> he, he kills for fun, we'll just say that. Um, he kills for fun, it's like a song. <laughs> he kills for fun, go. he kills for fun. Underneath the Krilenko tree, he kills for fun. <laughs> yes, jump up, uh, jump up, Krilenko. <laughs> <laughs> jump up, jump up, Krilenko. Three dead Krilenko in a casket. I don't think anyone ever thought Krilenko from 1963 from Russia with Love would ever get his own theme song. <laughs> We're breaking new ground here. Um, I love this scene, and this is the first case of the... Uh, that was not meant to be a pun. The first case of the attaché case coming into play with Bond sniper rifle... And I love that Karen wants to shoot him instead. And you've got the big poster. It just The setting of it is just amazing. One of my favourite scenes. And, of course, he's got his arm in a sling and sort of just harking back to the, the gypsy fight when he got um, shot and the quite clear usage of a blood packet that he squashes <laughs> against his arm. Like, go back and rewatch that scene. It is hilarious, like, how much he squashes it. <laughs> but, um... So much yeah. atmosphere, sorry, um, in this, with Kalenku sneaking out, thinking yeah. it's fine, and it's all nighttime, it's probably, I don't know, two in the morning, three in the morning, there's a fog, and it's just, I love it. Yeah, and I, I love, and of course, you got to love the pun. Uh, <laughs> she should have kept her mouth shut. <laughs> there's also a very questionable moment here when they have to hold off for a second because there's two police officers that very slowly walk past, and maybe about Five seconds after they leave view is when they pull the trigger and you hear the most exaggerated scream ever. Like, ah! like it's, the it's almost a Wilhelm. Yeah, so why are those police officers horrible. not coming back when they hear this scream in a shot? It's because they're Karen's sons. <laughs> oh, they're my sons. <laughs> Everyone in Turkey <laughs> But am I the only one who thinks this is one of the best scenes at the movie, just the way it's shot and everything about it? I, I, it's, it's, yeah, again, the atmosphere and everything is great. And you know, I love my fog. 
So, um, (laughs) and fog and, uh, uh, gypsies make everything better. Uh, You put the two of them together and there you have a winning movie. That's, 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 that's Kralenko's, like the second verse of his theme song. Fucking gypsies with Kralenko. (laughs) Together, it's even better. Kralenko. Kills for fun. (laughs) What you gonna do without Kralenko? Who you gotta call? Kralenko. Yes, um, after that awesome scene, Bond at the hotel, and I don't know, why Bond's breakfast? Green figs? figs what are and, green figs? Well, they're figs, <laughs> but they're green. <laughs> they're not ripe yet? <laughs> Thanks and for that, Noah. Green figs and yogurt. But is this a plot a plot hole? And of course I'm going to pick up on it because it's about coffee and that's the only plot holes I'm ever going to pick up on is the coffee plot holes. Uh, not plot hole, a mistake. He orders green figs and yogurt and a very black coffee. But earlier in the yes. film with Karen Bay, he has medium sweet. Yes. Karen says two medium sweet. So is he just... I wrote uh, that down too. I was yeah, thought, yeah. I pick up on the, the coffee inconsistency. So... Is this a production screw-up, or does Bond have different types of coffees at different he just, times? Like, like, I don't know, maybe he just likes different coffees. Like, he likes his alcohol the same, but when it comes to, to coffee, like, he's an experimenter. Like, he likes to experiment, you know? Oh, a different... coffee. Very yeah. black or medium sweet. I don't mind. <laughs> uh, again, also, coming out of the books, Noah, you'll know this, I mean... Bond's diet is talked about a lot, and I'm yeah. pretty sure it was in Thunderball, <laughs> where he has a disdain for yogurt. So why they decided to include this in here, it's like Bond's diet is basically like, you know, eggs and bacon and toast, and that's all he eats for like all three meals. So why is he ordering yogurt and green figs? Like, it doesn't I, seem like it fits him. I love, I'm currently reading Thunderball, and I love that there's like 60 pages dedicated to Bond's diet and exercise. Yeah. Well, that explains why there's been in the first two films so much emphasis on Bond being hungry. <laughs> All he eats is green figs and yogurt. But, yeah, that would make anyone hungry. hungry if I only had green figs and yogurt. That would make an Ethiopian hungry. Like, they wouldn't even live for that sort of stuff. Is it even flavoured yogurt or just plain? <laughs> well, yogurt's very generic, isn't it? Like, <laughs> can you yeah. elaborate a little bit more, Mr. Bond? Like, like and I said, yogurt. What does he order for dinner? Like, stick of celery, sour cream, <laughs> <laughs> and sauce. <laughs> I feel like, Colin, am I wrong? But I feel like he always has one sugar in his coffee in the book. Uh, I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> I feel like we should probably move on seeing we've had a five-minute... <laughs> talking of- about the important <laughs> stuff on Double on Seven. <laughs> Kralenku! <laughs> and Bond, how Bond orders his coffee. <laughs> yeah, but I picked up on that either inconsistency or mood swing from Bond. Switching <laughs> from medium sweet to it's very It's bipolar man. Well, he goes to a gypsy camp, he's now somebody else's son, he changes his mind. Yeah. Well, yeah, so maybe it's hard the day. rubbing off on him. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Um, ah, black I mean, he's friend. also been up all night, so black coffee might be what's needed. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess so. Um, afterwards, at his hotel room, we have Tatiana finally showing up with Bond. It's been a, quite a while into the film before these two meet, and he says, when will I meet her? And you know, blah, blah, blah. And we have a line that I was cracking up at. <laughs> she says, my friends call me Tanya. <laughs> my own call me James Bond. 
friends very... do you have? None of my friends call me Noah Groves. <laughs> That's not true, Noah Groves. I, you know, call you Noah Groves. I, um... Yeah, it, and I, I once again have to point out that um, for, you know, this super secret agent, not too good on the security with letting people into his... Uh, into his locations where he's sleeping. So, um, we mentioned this off air, but this is a missed opportunity for our Bond James Bond count because it's we don't a, get a one. zero for this film, and this seems yeah. like the perfect opportunity. Yeah, my friends call me Tatiana, my friends call me Bond. James Bond. Bond. Dee, dee, dee. <laughs> Cream we... yogurt and very black coffee. <laughs> Sorry. Hanging with my friend Kralenku who kills the <laughs> <laughs> No one signed up for this song. Um, but, of course, it all leads to the most fantastic line of this entire movie. My mouth is too big. <laughs> no, it's the right size. Yes. For me, that is. Really? <laughs> How you, did James. they get away with that line? In that, like, <laughs> you would have trouble having that line in a PG movie today, and this is 1963. Yes. yes. It was the Cold War. They were very innocent in the 60s. They didn't get these <laughs> sexual innuendos. Like, you know, they're just coming out of the 50s into the baby boomers era. And, you know, Elvis had just, you know, wiggled his hips a little bit. And... Yeah, but th- this this whole scene with Tanya is fun. And I think they immediately have chemistry. I think Tanya and Bond are quite good. And it's good to have um, a Bond girl in it a bit earlier, unlike Honey, who only shows up kind of. Um, and I said this to you guys uh a few days ago, quite controversial. I think Tanya is hotter than Honey. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I think Tanya is a very attractive lady. And um, let's just say, that's so I... diplomatic of you. Man. <laughs> well, she's but... a very attractive lady. I suppose. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be a lot more censored on this uh, series of podcasts here, Colin. You know, my mouth gets me into a bit of trouble sometimes. But um, the, I. I have to say what a hard life James Bond has to uh, happen to have somebody with the likes of Tatiana in bed, naked. Um, oh, what a hard, hard thing to come across. <laughs> Literally. No, you, you, also said, <laughs> you also said how much chemistry they have in this scene, and uh, I think a lot of that is the writing, but the staging, the scene, and everything, because it should uh, be mentioned as a trivia fact that this scene still to this day is used for screen every time they want to screen test a bond or a bond girl um they use this all the way throughout the 70s 80s 90s and even daniel craig with this for yeah sam neill and halle berry Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but this scene there's something about this scene that really works uh as far as having the two characters playing off each other and uh showing that chemistry and there's also the little bit of suspense here because, you know, Bond knows that they're playing him and she knows that he might be playing them. So uh, there's obviously a reason why they still use this to this day to test their actors. Yeah, I, I really love this scene. Um, and <laughs> the way it ends, it still makes me laugh just because it's so like bizarre, um, the filming. They've got the pan back and you've got Claire there with her cigarette and the camera action. Like, don't you love this? But the, the whole plan, this just another layer to the plan, not even mentioned before, that they're going to frame this uh, British spy who ends up, what, killing an innocent Russian girl, and then there's the sex tape release, so he kills himself. Like, there's just so much to Spectre's plan here. 
They were the Jenna Lewis of the 1960s. Like, they oh, were... <laughs> a lot of people will get that wrong. Let's, let's, let's edit that out and say Paris Hilton then. Um, but uh, the, the interesting thing about this, the scene, though, was that it, it wasn't as long as they wanted it to be because the British... We were talking about before, like, the censorship and everything, and you just said, Colin, in terms of, um, you know, how do they get away with that line? But apparently with this scene, the British Board of Film and Censors um, had to, they had to say it had to be shortened because it was too explicit showing people filming people having sex. That was a real big thing in the 60s that was, you know, oh, that's naughty, filming people having sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, you don't even Peter. see people having sex until, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. <laughs> do it, do it. <laughs> Colin, you're learning. But, but you you have to wonder how bad was this scene if they had to trim it. I mean, they left in the line about the, the mouth being too big. So what was happening in this scene right after the camera cuts off? Like, do we get Babber showing up? Yeah, that would be so good if Clem hired Vavras. Yeah. I think... The, I'm not. This scene kind of doesn't have a good ending to it. I think it doesn't look good. Like obviously the plan makes sense and everything. I don't know. I think for all the goodness we talked about in that film, it just seems so absurd. A glass screen. Well, I, I think the very ending would be fine, but there is something missing. You could tell that it's a very abrupt cut right here. Hmm. And yeah. wouldn't uh, there be, like, a reflection on the lens of the camera? Uh, did they test this glass screen uh, <laughs> filming into the room? Um, how foolproof was that? It's the guy yeah. with the moustache was brought in again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, wait, I was going to... Yeah, I'm not going to say that. Moving <laughs> on, um, we have Bond meeting with Tanya at the St. Sophia uh, Mosque, which another great location scene, as we mentioned before. And henchmen sneaking around, um, and that's a recurring theme. Red Grant really doesn't do much other than sneak around through this entire film until the train. Like, that's a recurring thing. He's always in every scene. He's just there in the background. Like, I love it. Um, and uh, we get the plans to get the, the lecture, and you have Karam and Bond checking with Tanya's plans to make sure they match up to get the lecture. And we skip to James and Tanya on the boat, and we have James with the the recorder, and <laughs> this yes. is the funniest gadget scene. Gadget number two. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, gadget number two, and she talks. It's like a typewriter, ten kilograms, um, twenty-four symbols. This scene, I was I was cracking up. This had me laughing so much. I think this is the funniest scene. Um, where she she wants none of it. She doesn't want to talk about the lector, and Bond wants her to talk about the lector. And she, have you ever had someone as beautiful as me? And this scene just had me so much. <laughs> Once when I was with M in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. M jumping to the, the button. That's all, Money Penny. You can leave now. Thank you, Money Penny. That'll be all. I want to know what it is. Coming, but I was just laughing so much at this. This was so good. Well, plus. 
right after Money Penny walks out, they turn it back on, and even though they're moving on, you get the impression all the guys are just waiting. It's like, come on, come on, I want to hear the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously like. I think they, there's your spinoff, like what you know, the prequel or whatever of what Bond and M got up had, to. It's like had, a Hangover movie. You talked about had Bond never had a threesome again. <laughs> Bond M and the Japanese girl. Well, my stupid for cracking up at that though. I thought that was by far the funniest line in this film. I wrote that down. It's great to see some humour with M because this uh, Bernard Lee M doesn't get a huge amount of the humour. He does get a few moments, but it's great to have something like that with this early M. I really hope that Inspector the Spectre, um, I will, no, will no, spoiler alert, um, Judy Dench is dead, but they maybe can they bring her back and we can have a similar Judy scene. Judy Dench is not dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> Judy Dench is, well, hopefully by the time this gets released, she hasn't died, but like Judy Dench's M is dead. I would like to see a scene similar to this, but like in place of, you know, um, male M, we have female M. Like, what did we get up to? Her? Oh, no, that would be all money, Penny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was great scene. And the whole boat thing. Um, good, good gadget to be able to broadcast straight into London from that. I boat. know, nineteen sixties satellite technology. Who, who knew? And uh, as, as a quick little pointer, and I'm going to mention a Pierce Brosnan film here. The world is not enough. <laughs> there is a, uh, a cameo from The World Is Not Enough. The Maiden's Tower, which is used as uh, Renard's lair, can be seen in the background if you're looking carefully enough uh, when they're on that boat. Yeah, and they were also. Also, a throwback to Dr. No is that uh, James Bond is wearing Jack Lord's sunglasses from Felix <laughs> 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 Slater days. Which, yeah, there's something about James Bond and sunglasses. Much more effective doesn't... than Cleb's glasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, after that scene, we had Bond going into the embassy <laughs> with the visa man. Bond the angry. terrorist. Yeah. Is this clock correct? Yes! Russian talks are never wrong. Boom. But this scene is great. Um, I kind of forgot this was happening right there and then. That when Bond kept checking the clock, that this was going to happen so sudden. I love this scene though, and the whole escaping with the left. A very exciting uh, moment. But that visa man made me laugh. I I just the whole time was thinking like. Is is Bond? A, does that make Bond a terrorist? Like, is he like a, you know, he walks in there with a bomb and then like he he goes like he should he be the T inspector? Yeah, shouldn't have he? Yeah, well, he's already done revenge last film. Now he's <laughs> ticking off the boxes, but yeah, shouldn't he have just waited a few minutes for it to explode then go in? He could have yeah, got like, killed could, by that explosion. Well, did you see the giant chunk of roof that fell right <laughs> behind him? Like, what if he hadn't moved a few steps forward? He would have been a suicide bomber. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a great scene, though, escaping, and they had the, the song I mentioned before, which no one knows what it is, because I can't do song impersonations, but... Um, Krilenko, Krilenko, he's here yeah. to save the day. <laughs> Escaping through the underground tunnel with Tanya and the Lecter. The conveniently placed hole, of course. Yeah, getting onto the Orient Express. Again, this is the scenery um, and the underground tunnels. Like You just imagine this world of Turkey with all these underground secret passages and everything. But um, Plus, this, uh, if I could just say, this scene also adds more complexity to the plot because... Again, Bond trying to get one up on them, and this is the one time where Bond's one step ahead, where right before this happens, uh, Karen Bay is asking him, you know, when do you want this to happen, on the the 13th or the 14th? And then 
basically what's happened is Bonds told Tanya, yeah, we're going to set the bomb off on the 14th, but they actually do set it off on the 13th because they yeah. want to make sure she's surprised. They want to make sure mm. that, well, they still don't know, can we trust her or not? I don't think Tanya had any idea what was going on at all through the entirety of this film. Um, she's can really I... out of the loop. Interesting tidbit with the filming of this too. Um, the rat scene where that we saw the rats kind of like running blind rats, <laughs> <laughs> which I think we kind of saw James Bond's second kryptonite with spiders rats because he didn't really seem quick. We must go the other way. It's like dude, they're just rats. Like, um, but um, apparently in filming, <laughs> damn, they're not spiders. Why um, do you have to be the rats? <laughs> well, that is they... Henry Jones' fear, isn't it? Isn't it weird to yeah, see Sean Connery yeah. in a sewer with the rats? Mm. Makes him a bit of a wimp come Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> they um they got lab rats coated with chocolate to make them look like sewer rats, but apparently <laughs> the rats wouldn't stop licking themselves. <laughs> so they then got some other rats, but they wouldn't run in the right direction. So they actually had to go to Madrid just to film a scene. Of, they had to go to fucking Spain. Like, can you imagine all these lab rats coated in chocolate? <laughs> all right, and... Action! And they're just and sitting around how, licking themselves. How wired were those rats after eating that <laughs> chocolate? I want that as a deleted scene. Like, Although, like this way, this way. To, oh, there's rats licking themselves. I'm more impressed <laughs> that they waited until the action call to start doing anything. What were yeah. they doing before that? Just waiting around, looking at their clock? Well, um, I, and what, this isn't like the movie is... Now we could say, okay, well, it's in high definition. You're going to notice. But <laughs> 1963 film... Do rats look particularly clean on film? Where, like, where they're worried people are going, those aren't sewer rats. Look at how clean they are. Mildred! Very you... milk block doing on that rat. <laughs> Mildred, what are you eating a chalk top for? That looks like the rat I'm watching right now. <laughs> yeah. um, one thing I want to quickly point out, I don't know if anybody else picked it up, but when they're running to the train and um, Bond turns to, to Tanya and says, what's the matter? That sounded so overdone because that sounded American. Like that, I, if you go back and watch that, just one little quick moment, because I had to sort of rewind it to watch it again. Because I swear they've overdubbed that with an American. What's the matter? It was Nikki. <laughs> yes, Nikki. What's the matter? <laughs> that was Mickey, not Nikki. That was Mickey Mouse. Just <laughs> what's the matter, Tanya? <laughs> Mickey was very big in the 1960s. Did you try and eat one of those rats? <laughs> That's not <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> yes, moving on. <laughs> Where's Kralenku? <laughs> um, escaping to the Orient Express, which, again, is pretty cool that they've got all this planned out. Um, and, of course... No matter what they plan, Red Grant is going to be on the train. Red Grant is everywhere. Uh, Red Grant is life. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So this train scene, I think we mentioned this last week, one of the longest scenes in the entirety of the series, really, but every single second of it is great. You've got a lot of... uh, You've got Mr. and Mrs. Somerset and... Oh, how good are they as characters? Yeah. um, You've got Caroline or Tanya... Channeling her inner Karim, Karim when she says, um, "We have ten children. <laughs> no, we don't have any children. Not even a boy." <laughs> well, in that case, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but she's—I don't know if Karim's been getting into uh, Tanya. Tanya, we must have children. <laughs> but, well, David and Carolyn are such a good 
couple. Like, yeah, they're my I'll, favorite couple in the movie. Mr. and Mrs. Somerset. Um, but there's a lot of nice character development and work between uh, Tanya and Bond here. But uh, I'm not sure on Tanya in this film. I think she's much better in the book. She's very whiny in this film. In the book, I feel like they developed her much more, but maybe we'll touch on that a bit later. Um, I I thought, yeah, like, on that, we talked a lot in the last, in Doctor No, about Honey Rider's backstory and sort of how it was, and, you know, I think you both mentioned how it was more complex in the book, but we got a real taste of it. Being, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot given, was there, really, on sort of her, her backstory. I mean, she wanted to defect uh, away and all this sort of stuff, but, you know, we didn't learn... Yeah, she's very much in love with Russia. That's that's about it. We didn't, you know, she wasn't like killing people with Black Widow spiders, and you know, had a hard childhood. And that's the thing that kind of I felt in terms of the the two films that we've gotten to this point. That was the one weak point I found in terms of the Bond girls is that I felt with Honey there was more development, whereas Tanya, Tatiana, Caroline, whatever, she like. I mean, she was good, but I don't feel as though she was anything more at the end of the day than sort of trying to play Bond, but also there for Bond to spread her legs. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm actually surprised that uh, I, I'm agree. Well, I'm not surprised I'm agreeing with you now, but if I had gone back, even <laughs> thanks, <a> Colin. Year, <laughs> <laughs> well, after you die thought- another day, comment. <laughs> But going back, like, even a year or two, I mean, ever since I saw this movie, I don't even know how many years ago, like, more than 10, 12, 13 years ago, uh, I always, for years, saw Tanya as one of the better Bond girls. And I don't know if that was, you know, just because she has more screen time than the others, uh, she's more involved in the plot, but she really doesn't get a lot to do. And, um, yeah, she, I agree with you. No, she definitely was better in the book. But even in the book, it's surprising because everybody has such a good backstory in the book. You know, Cleb has a great backstory. Karen Bay has a backstory. There's even a backstory for Red Grant's masseuse in the book. But <laughs> there's, there's not a lot. <laughs> and the chocolate rat. He massages, <laughs> massages for fun. But there's really not a lot for Tanya to do here, except we need somebody... That James Bond will go for, you know, that's that's her entire purpose in this movie. And I, I'm trying to look back and figure out why, for all those years, I thought she was one of the better Bond girls. It's not that she's bad. I think that you know, the, she's she's an she's a good character. She's good in this movie. You know, she works in the plot. The actress, you know, uh, Daniela Bianchi, and also the 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 voiceover artist do a really good job <laughs> with the character. Barbara but she, she was there's... credited as not Nikki Vanderzoo. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, what is her purpose in this movie? And yeah, she does have these moments where she gets really whiny too. But then there's also moments like when she is flirting with Bond, those scenes are very funny to watch. And it's not because of Sean Connery's reactions. It's because the way that Tanya comes across. Like It's very funny to watch her flirting with Bond. Some of the biggest backstory for Tanya in the book, and it's mentioned briefly. I'm like, hey, that's from the book. Uh, Cleb mentions how many boyfriends have you had? And the book does go into a bit of detail and that if Tanya uh, betrays them, then they'll kill one of the boyfriends and a lot of that stuff. But you're right, she is. At the same time, she's integral to the plot, but a lot of times... You're wondering why she's there other than to be the girl, but I still like in her. In other um, words, 
Bond could have been sleeping with Karen Bay, and this would have been a little <laughs> Wow, well, they were really... Me and M were in Tokyo. Ford, Ford thinking in the 60s, homosexual love. There you go. Um, but, yeah, uh, this train scene, I like big families myself, says Karim. Uh, <laughs> the, the Russian guy on the train, Karim and Bond taking captor, ca- uh, captured... And Bond smacks Tanya on the ass. Uh, <laughs> yes! That... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was but great. The most heartbreaking. I, I, I can't do it. Um, Red is on the. <laughs> Karen Bay is killed by Red Grant. Um, made it look like it the Russian guy and him killing each other. At least that's how I interpreted it. I assume that's what it was meant to be. But R.I.P. Karen Bay. Like, first they took Quarrel from us, now they're taking care of him. I can't do it, I quit. No, if you get so attached to Bond's assistance, you are in for a very long adventure <laughs> on these podcasts, I feel. Yeah, but um, do we... In memoriam, Karen Bay. Yes. In memoriam, Pedro Armanderas, too. Well, yeah, yeah, I think it's... Maybe. Is this a good place to bring in that up? I'm not sure. Um, oh, I think it's the tra- only place. He doesn't well, appear again. <laughs> yeah, well... What I'll do you want to... <laughs> wait for the, the scene where Bond hands off his uh, uh, effects to his son? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is quite heartbreaking. Uh, Colin, do you want to explain? They talk about it in the special features, and you can read up on it, but do you want to talk about uh, Pedro, the actor of Karam, during the filming of this movie? Yeah, well... Pedro Armanderas uh, was apparently already a very famous actor at the time that he was cast in this movie. Um, I'm trying to figure out what his age is here. So he was, uh, oh, he was maybe just 50, 51 years old at the point when uh, the the movie was made. But after he had been cast, and I believe it was even during filming, uh, he was diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer that was uh, terminal and he was already very far along at that point. So he kind of had the option to drop out of the movie, but uh, he really wanted to finish this and have it be a final movie of his career. You know, he'd, he'd been around what for a, a long time. Yeah. So he, he toughed it out. They, they rearranged the, the scenes and everything. Apparently he was in uh, a lot of pain. You could see him even kind of limping through some scenes uh, but he was determined to finish it, and they rushed his scenes, and then uh, he basically, after finishing all of his scenes in the movie, and after finishing completing, instead of going through you know, the whole thing of dying of cancer, he basically killed himself. So, depressing end, but at the same time, you know, look at the fact that he did everything he could to make this his final movie, and we've been talking about how this is like Bond's greatest sidekick in the entire 23 movie series. I just and want he to quickly delivers as well. The actor he delivers for someone who had terminal cancer. Well, just quickly on that too, in terms of the cancer, um, it. I mean, it's alleged that he got the cancer from filming a movie, the the film The Conqueror, um, which is a pretty notorious film in terms of movie history because they they filmed it um, very close to a site where they had done uh, nuclear testing. Um, in Nevada, and a lot of people uh, in the production of that movie died. Um, the d- the director died, um, a couple of the other actors died, and basically it was all kind of attributed back to the fact that they filmed so close to where this radiation was. 
Um, so it's it's kind of like in, in movie history, Hollywood history, it's almost like a bit of a cursed film with the, the fact. And, and Howard Hughes, the fa- very famous Howard Hughes who directed that film, actually went out and bought every single print of the film because he was so ashamed that he made the film and how he filmed it, basically because so many people got sick and cancer, including um, our dear friend Pedro. While we're on a very um, sad note, we should mention that a big part of the reason this film, and a lot of Bond fans will know this, but some might not, a big part of the reason why this film was made as the second was because uh, JFK actually labelled this in his top ten books of all time in mm-hmm. 60, 63 or 62, and this allegedly, or true, I'm not sure um, if it's a rumour, if it is actually fact, From Russia With Love is actually the last film he ever um, got to see at the White House before he was assassinated. The timing would make sense for that. Mm. Yeah, well, 63. Um, I believe he had a private screening of it, and it was, I don't know, days, hours before he um, got on a plane, and the rest is history. So that's our kind of uh, <laughs> doubter mode moment of the show. Krelenko, uh, Krelenko is here to make it happy. Yeah, we, we really need to do something here. I mean, we've gone from Karim <laughs> Bay's depressing death to Pedro Armendariz's suicide to the entire cast and crew of The Conqueror is getting JFK <laughs> assassinated. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we bring it back with a little bit of this? Did anybody else notice Bond's second go at, um, uh, at uh, Tanya that after the scene's over, for whatever reason, he still has his shirt tucked into his pants? I didn't know. Oh, I didn't notice that. I was more concerned about where all these clothes are appearing from and Bond's attempt at magic. Like, oh, <laughs> just take a look. <laughs> like, Bond the magician. <laughs> well, no, it's not Bond. It's Mr. Somerset the magician. Oh, sorry. Yes, David the uh, yeah. the magician. That's right. He's in character. Somerset likes magic and keeping his pants. <laughs> right, <laughs> of course. Sure, of course. Pants. <laughs> Bond's a character actor. Yeah. <laughs> this is method for Bond. <laughs> um, and we have Karen's death, which is very sad. And then we have Bond interrogating Tanya about the death and beating her up. Um, Domestic so, violence again. Yep. Yeah, once again. Uh, very fun to watch. Hashtag sarcasm. Um, and turns out that she really doesn't have any clue what's going on, and she's not a really a baddie and not a part of Spectre. Uh, we arrive in Belgrade, and we have Red lurking in the shadows the whole time. Um, I said, I wrote, um, when the train leaves, you have this cool, I'm not sure if either of you uh, noticed that the cool map slash train moving shots where you the saw Indiana the Indiana Jones style. Yeah, I thought it, it was a bit out of place for this film and a Bond film, but I actually really liked that kind of technique they used for the long train ride. I thought that was cool. I love maps and I love geography and all that sort of stuff, so you know I'm going to like it, but automatically I'm thinking of Indiana Jones as soon as I see something like that. It's only just it's overdub it. Of Indy, course, we Junior. Have, um, Grant pretending to be Captain Nash, who was supposed to be Bond's ally, and yes. like I said at the top of the show, Bond <laughs> had met Nash before. This plan goes to shit. I'm Nash. No, you're not. Um, did any of you notice uh, 
Red calls Sorry, him. Old man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, Mario... old man. Are you Captain Nash? Maybe. Um... <laughs> Did... I'm Captain Nash. No, you weren't. You're not the same guy as <laughs> with me and him in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> Did you either of you notice that Red calls him 007? Yeah. Oh, oh, seven. Uh, they're not making that mistake again, ever again. <laughs> and oh, we have this. Is that, is that the numerals that you boys use in Smash? Oh, oh, seven. Old man. We have a classic case, but this scene, this back and forth, we talked about the chemistry between Tanya and Bond. I guess you would call this chemistry, but this back-and-forth conversation maybe tops the back-and-forth between Dr. No. Actually, screw it. Definitely tops it. I love this thing. And it's a classic case of villain telling the plan, like, in exact mm. detail of everything. But I just love Bond slowly putting the pieces together and this... I wouldn't say the Bond respects Grant, but they're kind of equals when they discuss. And I love the line, I've been your guardian angel, is what Red says as to Bond, because that's so true. He's been there in almost every scene, and especially at the gypsy camp. And this, I would say, is the best scene of the movie. This is really great. One of the best scenes in Bond history. Just the Red versus Grant and... Let's top it off with the fight, which is also one of the best one-on-one fights in Bond history. I just love everything about this scene. Before I bring in my usual pointless attempt at humour, I, I will have to say that I, I enjoy... I think the acting was really good, too. Like, Sean Connery just... Um, I don't know how much Sean Connery gets regarded in oh, terms of... Oh, he delivers in this film. Yeah, but, like, he, he... And, like, just that whole scene and just sort of even his facial expressions and just kind of how he's, you know, um, sort of betraying that he's really trying to read red and sort of, you know, trying to get into the characters or Nash. Um, <laughs> I just think it, it's, it's great overall. And, and it is the whole, the whole scene from start, you know, right through to the fight is, is great. And just a couple of things though, I do have to say, um, I do like the line, you look very fit. Um, <laughs> and, uh, also straight away, I'm hungry, go to the restaurant car and um, they get the menu, look at it for two seconds, they order, speaking with their mouthful, and the you, the lovely, oh, oh, I dropped it, oh, how sorry of me to put the drugs in the drink. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just laughed at that so much, he's like, oh, how clumsy of me. Yeah, he's not quite the actor that I'm fine. No, no. <laughs> yeah, um, first of all, with uh, it is interesting you bring up that, thing with uh, drugging um, Tanya's drink because Bond notices it again this is another one of those moments where it's just people know what the other side is doing and you can see Bond noticing it he even mentions it when they first get back uh, I, I do like as you said where Bond comments like he looks very fit I kind of expected him to just punch Grant in the stomach there just to <laughs> test it <laughs> everyone else does it you may as well too <laughs> um no, you're 100% right. I mean, this scene, if you're talking just strictly dialogue scenes, this is maybe the greatest straight dialogue scene in the history of the James Bond series. The only one that really comes close is uh, the one with Javier Bardem's introduction in Skyfall. But you have to give credit to Sean Connery. You also have to give credit to um, to uh, Robert Shaw. I mean, he's nowadays we're so yeah, accustomed right. to... Yeah, we're happy. We're so accustomed now with like Javier Bardem coming in and uh, uh, Christoph Waltz in the next one to having these really 
really accomplished actors as the villains. But for the most part, the Bond movies would cast these foreigners who would be dubbed by Nicky Vanderzil or somebody else. <laughs> Robert Shaw hadn't quite achieved, like he would achieve a lot of fame within just a couple of years after this. And obviously most people know him as the, the captain in uh, Jaws. Yes. Uh, but like, this is a really great actor and it's almost sad that following this, they kind of just went with the generic Europeans with the dub voices because Robert Shaw brought so much to this movie Again, you forget, just like with Dr. No, that this is a very small role. He's always in the movie, but we don't even really hear him speak until he assumes Nash's identity. And then you only have like two scenes in the movie, but it's such a huge impact he makes just in those two scenes. Yeah, and um, I'm, when you watch this film, it's kind of like <laughs> the three blind minds really seem like a joke of henchmen when you've got <laughs> Red Grant, because he is just amazing, and last, uh, Professor Dent, who just failed at everything he did. Um, <laughs> but he got to come back in this film, so it's all right. But, yeah, well, we should really talk about Red Grant as a character, because much like the film, he's kind of we've kind of talked about him in bits and pieces, but this scene, not the actor delivered but the character and i love that he's not a european um well we, we assume he's british right um well that's in europe yeah well yes um <laughs> <laughs> thank you ben um but like he escaped from prison like this guy is on the run so he has to work with specter is he fully on board with specter is he just a mercenary and he just does what he needs to do to get a payday. He wants the sovereigns. He'll be happy with the 50-odd sovereigns. I just think Red Grant, as a henchman, top five, if not top three henchmen of all time. He is brilliant. Well, you know how we were mentioning before in terms of backstories of, like, of the Bond girls? I feel with henchmen, sometimes it's good to get a bit of a backstory, but it's almost like you don't want to know too much because, I mean, that's what a henchman's there for, aren't they? They're meant to be like this, you know, mysterious, evil person who just wants to kill James Bond. But, like, yeah, and sort of going back to what I said, how he sort of reminded me of someone like a stamper from Tomorrow Never Dies. But, I mean, we see so many of these blonde kind of assassins after this, don't we? And, I mean, obviously he is the the archetype for this um, type of henchman that we get in a lot of Bond films, but they, they don't match up. To, to what Robert Shaw brought to that role. And Robert Shaw is a great actor. And, yeah, Colin, like, of course, I know him best probably more because I've seen Jaws, I think, a whole lot more than I've ever seen from Russia with Love. And I always just imagine him in a shark's mouth getting eaten, even though the shark's, like, travelling at, like, one centimetre per hour. It's going so fucking slow. Just crawl out of the shark's mouth, Robert. But, um... <laughs> anyway. Um, but, yeah, no, he, he, I would agree with you, Noah, top five henchmen of of all time easily yeah with, as far as the backstories go we do get a bit of backstory in here but no you were saying earlier how much more backstory there is in from rush with love nobody more so than grant i would argue in the from rush with love novel even though he counts as a henchman he is more the main villain in the from rush with yeah. love novel i he think the, the first whole three chapter chapters, to himself yeah well, i think it's two or three chapters i mean yeah, the, the at book the beginning, starts yeah. with him and yeah has, actually like, you're this, right it's the first three or two chapters of the entire book yeah, and and you get you get the idea that he's just this cold-hearted killer. But again, something that we just missed from the book is like, this is a guy who just loves to kill, and he didn't care who he killed for. He just more so than Kalenku. Oh, I was about yeah, to say, exactly. very Kalenko-esque, wasn't he? Beat you to the punch. Damn but it. he just 
he just sort of went to the Russians because he figured they'd be the ones who let him kill. Um, I really think that the line's important because we talked about how he just spills the entire plan to Bond. And I, I think the line is very important, too. Again, not to take away from the writing of this movie, which is so much stronger than Dr. No. And that's not taking anything away from Dr. No, but very smart line where he says, I've enjoyed watching the great James Bond make a fool of himself. The reason he's telling the whole plan is because he just wants to see Bond's reaction. He wants to see Bond feel really stupid for everything that's happened so far. Well, that's a, it's not just make him feel that. Bond, if we're being honest, Spectre, until the last 20 minutes of this film, has the upper hand almost all the time. And Bond has been quite stupid or unaware through most of this. Um, so it, that's what makes the scene so great, Bond piecing it together and Red just really knowing more and it's an unusual dynamic because normally Bond knows everything like we'll cut to man with the golden gun and says uh, Bond do you know anything about this flower yes blah 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 <laughs> Bond knows everything but in this film really he's out of the picture Bond is just a nobody as we were talking about in this world and he's just stepped in and he is integral to Spectre's plan they want revenge even but, I just want to comment really quickly on the beginning of the scene Bond did when uh, Grant slipped Tanya the roofie or whatever it was. <laughs> Bond did notice that. And he, calls him on. <laughs> he calls him on and as soon as they get in the room, it's like, what was that thing you put in the drink or whatever? But he still immediately is able to pull Bond back around. It, he has this very plausible excuse where he's like, uh, you don't expect that we're just going to trust her just like that because, you know, she she brought you a typewriter, right? And Bond is immediately like, oh, okay, I guess it makes sense. And he's going along with Nash again right before he hits him. I mean, Nash is, if if Professor Dent is the most inept henchman ever, Nash is far the smartest. <laughs> yeah, Red. Yes. Yes. You said Nash. <laughs> oh, well, yes. As Nash. Jeez, <laughs> Red really is doing a convincing job as Nash. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, we cannot skip over this fight scene. Uh, we kind of had a few props from, well, pro not props, gadgets from the attaché case. This is really full blast here. You've got the steam going off, you've got the sovereigns, you've got everything. This fight scene is amazing. It's great. And just a quick note, I, lo I love the, um, you know, leave the girl there, or exhaustion, I would say. Like, you know, just, oh, whatever. You know, she's, she's drugged. Let's, let's take our turns. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, the fight scene's great. And then we, this is sort of our real first, oh, Bond's in the shit, isn't he? He's, you know, he's down on his knees. How's he going to escape? Oh, wait, well, there's that gadget that we saw at the first part of the movie. Yeah, um, that will and, become a trope. And Nash loves his sovereigns. Like, fuck, he gets... <laughs> he gets... He gets moist. He is the best actor ever. I know, right? He's Nash. I just... David, like, tricks him into getting those sovereigns out like a motherfucker. I believe like, he's going to Mrs. Somerset. Um, I know, on. right? She's such... Like, she loves her magic. Um, she wants children. She wants a boy. She wants to have a tea. But, um, yeah, like, I, the, the one thing, though, it's like, yeah, absolutely love Red Nash, but I just love the fact that at the end of the day, he comes undone for sovereigns. Yeah. Well, but that is a very important character trait, is that he's not really aligned to Spectre as more as 
he is staying out of prison and he'll do anything for a kill and some money. But yeah, I, lo I love his addiction to stuff. It's like, here, here, Nashville, here, Red. Oh, so like, wouldn't, wouldn't the, the logistical thing to do kill David, then get the sovereigns? <laughs> yeah. Well, he tries. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, this is where we finally see Bond get the upper hand and, it's not even done in a predictable way. Any other Bond movie other than From Russia With Love, basically he's like, you know, oh, I'll pay for it. Why don't you open that case there, right? But with this, Bond has the smarts to say, I'm going to open the regular case first. And then he, I love the way that Sean Connery like plays it. Like he's playing dumb. It's like, do you have any more? It's like, well, yes. <laughs> I think there's some more in the other one. Maybe. Let me take a look like really quickly. And he's like, no, 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 no. I know what you're doing. Like Bond really gets the upper hand at that moment. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else to add on this train fight other than this is going to be the last great train fight until Spire Love Me, isn't it? Um, oh, Goldeneye? Come on. Live and let die. Well, Spire Love Me comes before Goldeneye, Ben. Well, I don't care, Noah. I just had to mention another Pierce Brosnan movie. <laughs> uh, so... I, I want to give credit, uh, again, we mentioned it earlier, but uh, obviously Terrence Young deserves a lot of credit for how... He staged this uh, scene yes. again with the steam and with the, the lights out and everything. And the sound effects play a big part, too. But uh, Peter Hunt creating a new style of action, especially with the fight scenes here. I mean, the cutting is so fast. Yeah, the jump uh, cut. Hmm. Yeah, there, there is so much that going on. And it had never really been done before. And uh, that is what makes this such an exciting fight scene. Not only does this fight scene hold up, I would argue that you'd have a hard time finding a fight scene in any of the future Bond movies that really top this, even on a technical level. I still maintain, and many, many will disagree with me, but I think Terrence Young captures book Bond better than any of the other directors. But, mm. Yeah, that's just me. But yeah, that fight scene, not just the acting and the choreography, but the editing, the whole thing... Um, but after the fight, uh, which we see the end of Red, um, we, uh, there's the escape in the truck and the helicopter scene. Which, oh, um, goodness. Blatant rip-off of North by Northwest uh, Hitchcock, like, to the, to the T. Like, <laughs> well, it was done as a tribute to him, wasn't it? Well, yeah, tribute, but, like, shot-by-shot shot tribute, pretty much. Um, but it is a great... Great scene, I think. Um, Bond shooting the helicopter down is quite good. Uh, anything to add on the helicopter before the boat? Gonna, gonna be a bit of a cynic. Um, how does the helicopter know where he is? Um, <laughs> the whole time I'm going, well, that's convenient. But um, I, yeah, it's and it's, it's daytime. How long were Red and Bond talking for? Because they were. It was nighttime <laughs> when Nash got on, wasn't it? And and the obvious question in terms of a helicopter constantly, like, diving at James Bond, you have these giant blades on the top of your machine. Wouldn't you kind of go on an angle to, like, dice and slice and dice David sorry, up? Ben, but I would be impressed with the helicopter driving skills if they could fly down a choppy set off. I, I have played Grand Theft Auto, and I know if you want to mow down a bunch of pedestrians on the streets of Liberty City or San Andreas... You get your helicopter and you chop the people to shit. And I think they could have saved themselves a bit of time by doing that. I want to add uh, Bond, at this point, is he still a little bit upset with Tanya? Uh, you know, he's, he's always saying it was like, get up or I'll leave you here. But 
Carolyn, sorry. <laughs> but when they're dropping grenades on their truck, uh, his idea is that the keeper saves it. Here, get underneath the gas tank. You know, like that. that's going to be helpful if this thing gets hit. And he's very, he's, he's constantly wanting to leave her behind. Isn't he? <laughs> get up, I'll leave you behind. Get up, I'll leave you behind. The 10 kids comment. Oh. Yes. 10 kids, I only want four. Um, so I don't know if this was uh, just a tribute to North by Northwest or if it's maybe Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman's love of helicopters because uh, we should mention that. It, it was an intentionally placed thing in every single Bond movie from this point on that they made sure that yeah. there was a helicopter in every Bond movie after this. Yeah, well, and I... You go. I was just going to quickly ask, probably neither of you know the answer to this question, but, like, helicopters were a fairly new invention in the 60s. Weren't, like, they hadn't been around for that long. Well, yeah, I mean, World War Two, they didn't really exist, and I think that was the whole thing about Vietnam, which was just a few years later, was that, that was the technology. We have helicopters. Tanks was World War Two. helicopters is Vietnam. Is it helicopter or chopper in Canada? Uh, helicopter, mostly. Yeah. Potato, potato. Yeah. Um, no one says potato. Um, I do. <laughs> I had some potato chips tonight. Mashed potato, mashed potato. Mashed what? Um... Now we're in the boat, Bond with the captain hat on. I love that. Yes! Yes! He's the skipper from Gilligan's Island! Yeah. Bond's really getting wrapped up in this whole acting business. I have to have a question about this hat, because this really struck me. We don't see Bond put it on, but at what point during this hectic escape did he sort of look in the glove box like, hmm, they a skipper's hat here. That sounds like like, I was just thinking, I feel like being a skipper today. <laughs> Army hearties. <laughs> I'm on a boat. Um, I'm on a boat. I, I've i heard a lot of criticism for this boat scene. Too slow, not dramatic. Or, I think it's a good climax. We, it's great. We had a bit of water business with Dr. No, but it was just them rowing into Crab Key. Like, I think... We've had um, trains, we've had helicopters. I think it's time for a good boat boat business with the strategically placed uh, uh, gas canisters. Bond drops into the water. Um, Which don't blow up, of course, when they're getting shot at, but when Bond puts <laughs> them in the water. <laughs> but I, I'd love this entire escape like from the train, and now we're onto the running away from helicopter in the truck, and now we're onto the boat, and there's people chasing us. When will they give up? But I like this scene. People seem to not like it. I like it, and it's kind of like with all the, you know, you mentioned all the different modes of transport. I mean, what's what's next? Hovercrafts. Um, when will we see that? But um, it's oh, diamonds are forever. <laughs> well, I'm sick of another one starting with D. But it's, <laughs> I again just to quickly play cynic. Like I it always bothered me like straight away. Like how do they know where they are? But then conveniently there's a map. Oh, let's go to Venice. Um, but I, I love this scene. I don't see why people criticize it because I, I think it's great. And how it's sort of filmed the whole, the long shot when they pan out and all the, the, like the barrels go off and you just get that like wall of fire that just takes out everyone. I think that's fantastic. That scene. And that's, that scene is used so often. Like when you get those montages of like, you know, bond explosions and take a look how great James Bond has been over 50 years with all these epic moments. They always show that scene. And I think it. I think it was great. I. I don't think it was particularly 
too slow. I, I enjoyed it better than the helicopter scene when we got the same shot of the helicopter flying over and over again. Like they just recycled the one scene they filmed of a helicopter flying over. Uh. One thing we have to mention here is uh, just before this scene, we have the handoff from the almost non-existent henchman Kronstein to, uh, I don't even know if his name is mentioned, but Morzeni is the guy who leads this boat chase here. Uh, just a quick bit of trivia, the actor who plays him, Walter Gotell, will appear in many Bond movies later, starting with Spy Who Loved Me, I think. But I, I have the answer for why this scene isn't liked by people, and if you look at all of the Bond movies, they did it in Dr. No, but then took one off from here. I said at the beginning that while this is the Bond movie that sort of starts to establish a lot of the traditions with Bond, it's also the last one that was free from some of them. And this was the only Bond movie that doesn't end with a climax of a giant set that's just been destroyed by explosions and stuff like that. Uh, you know, Ken Adam usually has the giant sets like You Only Live Twice and everything. And uh, this one just ends out in the middle of the water. So it's something I think if people are watching these movies out of order, it doesn't feel right because you're not in this massive layer that's blowing up around you. But I'm going to agree with you guys. I think that this whole chase is great. Um, one of my favorite moments of the movie is in this chase. Right after the barrels explode and everything's on fire, uh, you could see Morzeni, who's the one guy who's wearing white, so you know he's a henchman. Everybody's on fire, and one of the random henchmen next to him, for whatever reason, just punches Morzeni in the back. <laughs> and I don't know why. I've always <laughs> wanted to do this with Red, and now's my last chance. I've thought that scene so many times, and I don't know why it's so funny to me. It's like, they're all dying, and he's like, you did this to us, you idiot. He's punching him in the back. I would love it if all those extras just had moustaches and it's like... Um, <laughs> has a thing for moustache people they always make sure they die um, just also uh, we mentioned before with the kiss kiss bang bang this is going to be a tough one what yeah. we all came out with we'll the total get, I have a count on this I, oh I, okay get a count. There, the two boats on the side have three people in it each and then the one with Morzeni who's the main henchman because he's the only white shirt you can see there's four so I, I double check triple check there's ten people in all three boats well, I'm going to take I, I you all bit, now. I, I just wrote 20. I just thought, oh, 20 people would have died in there. <laughs> I was a bit more optimistic on that, but we'll, we'll, um, we'll get to that when we do we'll get to that. I just also want to quickly point out, uh, we didn't mention the scene with number three and number five. Yeah, um, I was about to mention it, but do you want to set that up? Well, yeah, uh, basically, you know, we get um, question mark uh, talking to number three and, and, and Vladimir Putin. Um, and we get the introduction of one of the most iconic Bond villain gadgets, I guess. The the poison spike um, shoe, which makes an appearance in Die Another Day! Uh. I just love uh, this back and forth between Kronstein and Clebitz. Like, it was her fault. She did it. No, it was him. And they're both sweating bullets, too. Yes. I didn't do it. I didn't do it, Dad! It's a great scene. And, of course, it's the end of Kronstein, which... I feel like underused in this film. Um, Rest in peace, Constantine. Yeah, I, I feel like this could have had a more of an impact. And the only scenes we really had of him was chess and then this and before. But I think overall he's quite a good baddie, if not just a background He just character. looks evil. He just yeah. he's one of those yeah, villains. 
that that really yeah is it General Urumov in in Goldeneye? He's another one that just he just yeah. they just look evil. Yeah. Um, also, I I don't know why he took the blame for this because all that he is is the guy that came up with the plan. He's the smart guy. He can win at chess, so he came up with this plan. Is it his fault that Kleb picked the wrong girl who actually did fall for Bond? Is it his fault that Kleb picked Red Grant, who was blinded by money in the end? Is it his fault that these guys are, the henchmen are more interested in punching each other in the back than shooting Bond in the face? Like, yes. He just came up with the plan. It's, it's, why is he the one who takes Yeah, I think Kleb has shown to fail. So why didn't Question Mark get Constant to finish off Bond? Because <laughs> he hasn't had a chance, really. Kleb's had a chance. She failed. Like, get Constantine or Moustache Man number four on the job. Given given that this is the last appearance of Question Mark in this movie, um, I just, I like the fact that if you read the credits on who Question Mark is, you've got Anthony Dawson was the body, uh, Eric Papalma was the voice, and, um, yeah, so I love how they Dicky all, like... Yeah, Dickie Van Der Zyl was the, the other voice. The purr of the cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nicky Van Der Zyl. White Pussy just... played by Nicky Van Der Zyl. <laughs> um, of course, uh, one of my favourite bits is the fact that Bond uses a flare gun. That's pretty damn awesome. Yes. And all the spectre boats going down. Uh, what what have I written in my notes? Bond donkey donking from the boat? <laughs> what? Yeah, I love that donkey scene. Like, that's that very... Kind of, what is that? Some kind of snug... <laughs> snug there? slang. Donkey donkey. Oh, donkey. oh, oh I... Bond, do- Bond donkey konging with the barrels. Oh, oh okay. the barrels. Like, What's donkey, donkey donking? <laughs> I do have another question, too. Like, those barrels were on their side. They weren't connected to anything. But when they get in the boat, Bond's like, well, we got plenty of fuel. I'm like, did he expect to pick those things up with his hand and dump it into the gas tank? Like, how is he getting it in? I just love that the Spectre boats turn up and stop when they get the barrels. They don't even keep chasing up. But, but like, the, 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 the biggest question again is, like, these guys are shooting them. Like, how often do we see these types of movies? All you have to do is shoot a barrel with petrol and it explodes. Like, the three blind mice <laughs> died in a burning car wreck and all it did was roll down a hill. Daniel <laughs> Craig takes out an embassy by shooting an oxygen tank. Yes. Like, at, at the end of the day, like, oh, no, but a flare gun. Oh, don't worry. Bang, it's the 4th of July. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Um, but of course, Bond saves the day, and they take Yay. the boat to Venice. Um, back in Venice, and you have Bond and Tanya in the uh, the hotel, and you have the maid coming in, and I'll, ta- <laughs> I'll take the lector. <laughs> of course, it's not really, that. <laughs> it's, it's another case of <laughs> someone in the Cold War acting. It's it's a big thing in the sixties acting. Everyone wants their turn at doing a bit of acting. So Cleb is the maid. And this final fight, like, this becomes a trope as well. Like, Bond saves the day, but then there's always this final encounter with normally the henchman, but I would argue Cleb is not the henchman, although that's debatable. And you have the fight with Cleb and Bond, which is great. The knife shoe. Tanya, is she a goodie or a baddie? Of course she's a goodie. Um, and Bond and Tanya, the boat at the end throwing out the sex tape film and get the, the title screen, not quite the end, Bomb will return, which is the first time we have that. But this final fight is really good, 
but it's a case of the book doing it better, and maybe Colin will touch on that. But Ben, did you like the final encounter or a bit anticlimactic? Well, I think if they really like, yeah, I think we've all watched too much of these, you know, TV shows in modern times where you know, no character is safe. Like, you always can... The major character could die. So, like, you know, I'm just... You just think to yourself, oh, well, maybe she'll shoot Bond, and Bond dies, and oh, there we go, James Bond won't return, the end. But, um, you know, it was... It's, again, as you kind of said, just your trope now of what will happen, and sort of Bond has to try one last fight, and he gets, you know, saved by the, the Bond girl in this case. But, um, yeah, it, it, it is... Good to sort of get that um, that last little battle there by Cleb, who was wearing a terrible disguise, like a Spectre. If so only good there. she had her glasses on, they would have believed. It. <laughs> like, why didn't like if <laughs> like they managed to get Mustache Man into a Bond mask? Like, why don't they get? <laughs> they couldn't have got a freaking maid mask. <laughs> we'll get. Why isn't Cleb in a mustache mask? <laughs> we'll, we'll get Cleb in like a Tatiana mask or like about, a Carolyn uh, mask. Cleb in a in a Bond mask. That would have got confusing. But... <laughs> Lost his shit. <laughs> oh, you're a very attractive, Mark. Yeah, and then, then <laughs> Tanya wouldn't have known who to help at the very end because they both look like Sean Connery. Exactly. But um, come on, Spectre, you're losing your game. I did, I did, and I, I definitely want to hear Colin sort of go a little bit more in terms of the book of how this ended. But I just quickly will say, I did like the end. Well, not quite the end. James Bond will return in the next Ian Fleming thriller, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Yeah, I haven't quite got the um, the actual. <laughs> endings down. Yeah. yeah and also just quickly my question that I will pose did they do it in that boat in public in the canals of Venice when they panned away yeah that's a debate uh, I could, I just picture uh, Vavro in the background jumping into the water to save the tape thank you thank you uh, <laughs> Vavro uh, wants to view that tape as far as the book to the movie the, the first thing is we mentioned this during Dr. No is that the book definitely did it better, partly because the book ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, you weren't sure if Bond was going to live or die. And I think part of the reason was that when Ian Fleming wrote this book, he was kind of tired of writing Bond. So he wasn't sure if this was going to be his last one. Uh, the biggest question I have before I go on a, the, the rest of the scene for you guys is, we don't see it in the movie, but do you think Bond ever told Tanya, well, Cleb isn't, you know, part of Mother Russia. She's working for Spectre. Because we never see him tell Tanya, but she has that, you know, double take at the end. So do you think he ever told her or not? Well, that's an interesting question because, as we mentioned earlier, this film, a lot of the Bond films, most of it's wrapped up by the end. Um, I haven't watched Goldfinger in a while, but I think next week we'll see that most of the story is wrapped up. Goldfinger, odd job. All that's done. Um, Dr. No, we saw. Dr. No's been defeated. We've worked out what happened to Strangways. Jamaica is saved by this massive uh, uh, uranium or whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, this film is very inconclusive. And that's what I said. They need part two. Like, a lot of stuff left open. So I'm going to say probably not because she is quite ditzy. And she doesn't really <laughs> seem to know anything that's going on, even at the end. She's just happy to be there. I yeah I don't know because it would explain a bit if he did tell her at the end. But I, I guess if he did tell her, then she probably wouldn't hesitate at the end, would she? Like straight away, she'd be like, "Well, that fucking bitch lied to me." Bang. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would probably say no as well, just for that factor. If he didn't tell her, then there's another flaw in Bond's whole game plan in this because he has to know there's other Spectre people out there who are going to come for her. So. 
does he just think that he's that persuasive of a lover that it's like she'll never doubt me? You know, so he doesn't even bother to say well, it. On that note, it must be. I mean, she fell in love with him after one night of sex. One, yeah. Well, that's the thing about this film that is a bit confusing: is when does Tanya fall for Bond, and when does she kind of give up on the whole Mother Russia thing? Because I feel like that's not really highlighted. In yeah, the in the it's, book, it's yeah. clear because she kind of is going back and forth for a while. And uh, yeah. another thing to mention is that uh, you know why does Bond sleep with her so much in this movie? Because in the novel, again, something that can't really be explained in the movie is that the, Bond knew, well, we probably shouldn't trust this girl and they're probably playing us. But their rationalization was, if you sleep with her, you'll be able to tell if she's faking or not. <laughs> <laughs> not in that sense. But uh, there was well... a reason for Bond's uh, uh, womanizing in this movie. <laughs> I love that nice there's a backstory to Bond's, to Bond's womanizing Like we need an explanation <laughs> Oh Bond's actually a really nice guy Who just wants to you know settle down with Sylvia And have like those ten kids But this is why he has to be a womanizer I, I do want to comment on the whole fight Because does this fight hold up as well as some of the other ones This is <laughs> like a classic thing that's done in Bond now We saw it in Goldfinger And then obviously you know Diamonds are forever Living like die Like pretty much all the 70s did this Where somebody exactly. comes back again I don't think, other than Diamonds of Forever, which I'm going to argue when we get to it, is really <laughs> the better. But I don't think, other than Diamonds of Forever, there's really any other surprises. And that's what does work about this. The fight scene, not so great to see a guy pin somebody against the wall because they have a knife in their shoe. But <laughs> the surprise of having Kleb come back, like, I didn't expect it when I was watching the movie. Um, I think it would have worked a little bit better if she wasn't in a maid's outfit. It doesn't look very menacing. But... Uh, the scene, I think, is a good surprise, though. I just, I always wish, because this movie is, la if it's lacking anything, it's lacking the one-liners. And that's, again, the last movie before they really figured out their formula of how are they going to do this. I always wanted Bond, right after, you know, she's killed, for him to go, should never bring a knife to a shoe fight. Like, it would have I think, um, Claire... I love the kind of thing like, oh, screw it, I'll do it myself. Like, I love that she's kind of hands-on, because not all those villains would be, but, yeah, the whole chair thing's a bit funny, and Klebs, I'm not, not going to say her acting was bad, but the whole, ah! Like, it, it, it really seems absurd. But. Yeah, her Kalenko scream at the end does not sound like a death scream. It scream sounds yeah, like something else. Yeah, it's not a quarrel. Are you Kleb? Maybe. <laughs> well, I love Bond's like you know oh major just and then straight away like when she's like trying to like kill them he's like Club. like why didn't you just like well you now you know A L E B -E I think that's it um, my final question before we get into kind of the end game part of it is who there's no right or wrong answer, really. Who, in your eyes, is the main villain of this film? Because it's very different to a lot of other ones. Yeah, there's no real clear cut. I mean, the, I, in a way, I guess you could say, oh, the obvious choice is question mark, because he's like the one, you know, patting the cat, and that's generally <laughs> where you're an evil prick if you're sitting there patting a white pussy. Um... But I, and I guess Colin sort of said more so in the book how he's portrayed, you'd almost say that Red is, because he's, I don't know, you get that sort of epic payoff with that great scene in the train and then the fight, whereas like with Claire, it's, it's kind of like, 
generically when you get that l- surprise, you know, oh, they're, they're here, they're going to kill you at the end. They're generally not the big, big villain. By then, the big villains died, and that's just like a bit of part of the R of Spectre to get that revenge back. But yeah. I would say, outside of the obvious question mark, uh, I would go with Nash. I mean, Red. Uh, I think the debate that people have about this is that, well, it should be Blofeld because the hierarchy says he's the guy in command, but I don't think anybody would doubt when we get to Thunderball that Largo is the main villain, not Blofeld. And Blofeld has more to do in that than he has in this. Uh, The debate over Kleb and Grant is a little bit more difficult. I think the only other movie where it's as unclear as this would probably be World is Not Enough. You know, is it Mm. Elektra or is it Renard? Um, it's, it's a very similar dynamic in this one where, you know, Kleb is obviously the one calling the shots, but Grant gets all of the action. Uh, if I had to pick one between the two, I would probably say that Kleb is the main villain, but, uh, in this case, Grant steals the show. I think other than Kalenku, who's clearly the major villain in, uh, <laughs> in, in, Karen, in Karen's life anyway, um, the spin-off Karen and Quarrel, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think probably Cleb, but the great thing about this film is it, it, it's really like meet specters. It's like there's so many different characters and so many different things happening, which is part of the charm of it. Um, so I would actually say Spectre is the major villain, but again... Spectre. Um, <laughs> if if you really had to pick someone, I would say Cleb. But yeah, of all the films, this is kind of the least clear cut of it. And yeah, well, not enough. But yeah, n- not quite the end, um, as it said at the end, because we've got a few closing jobs that we have to do, as we will do. Odd jobs? In, yeah, cl- a few closing odd jobs, as we do in every episode. Um, what should we start with? Should we do? Mr. Kiss. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang, first. Um, which, Ben, you yeah. really need to get the sound clip for that going, because I, I don't want to sing anymore. You just heard it. You just heard it then. Yeah, that was right. a complete copy. How uh, is that for editing? Our editor, well, George Lazenby, insert right now. Fucking that. We've gone... Oh, shit, stop the press. We've gone, like, two and a half hours until we've mentioned George Lazenby. Sorry, George. <laughs> Start again. Um, can we all agree... Zero Bond, James Bonds, zero Martinis. Can we all yes. agree zero on that? Zero and zero. Yeah. Double O. Yeah, double O. <laughs> or O-O, if you're um, red. Nash. Yeah, Nash, of course. Um, kiss. I'm going to put up four. Did we yeah, all I get got, that? Yeah, I got four. Um, Sylvia, Tanya. Sylvia, Tanya, and the, and the, gypsies. the gyps, gypsies. Yeah. He got yeah. laid a lot, this movie. Yeah, and of course, if you're counting, you're technically counting Tanya three times, so you'd be at six in total, but three women, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Sylvia, I counted. I'm not sure if we counted her again. Oh, like, well. It's been six. Well, months. what else was he going to be doing for that hour and a half? Like having <laughs> his lunch or. Slapping her again? All right. I've, <laughs> this next one, I've got it completely wrong. Yeah. Um, I've got bang nine. Oh, God. I have 29. And I'll explain why I said 9. I was too optimistic on Spectre because technically we didn't see them die. Like, they jumped in the water. The flames would have went away. I'm assuming some of them can swim. 
how far from the shore were they? <laughs> so I, I didn't count those, but I really should have, so I know I'm wrong. Well, I'm going to I, I, I just got to cut in there. I think you have to count it because James Bond does give a kind of bad one-liner after that, where there's smoke, there's fire. And if Bond's giving a one-liner after yeah. doing something violent, I think he killed them. Yeah, so I had the gypsy theme was quite confusing. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, what's the gypsy count for you guys? I got I put six random guards. I got six. Noah, I didn't I didn't specify on gypsy uh, gypsies, but I've got nine overall for my bank count. So probably yeah, six six or five gypsies. Well, I yeah, think I, I had, had yeah six gypsies. I said twenty for the um <laughs> <laughs> the boats. Um, really expanding. Rare, yeah, no, I, yeah. Don't go off twenty nine for me. Just, ignore, <laughs> well, I'll, I'm gonna I, go. I think what Colin said. Colin, I think you're brought I know, this time. I know for a fact there's ten in the the boats because I checked yeah. it in almost every shot. Oh, Mister um, Maths. <laughs> so should we say ten for the boat? Ten for the boats. We know there was two in the helicopter, right? Yep. We have. He didn't kill Cleb, so we can't count that. Uh. Six in the gypsy camp, and then Grant. So is that 19? Is my math just... 19. 19. Yeah. Right, I'm, I'm happy with 19. I'll uh, go yeah, with that's good. Someone could comment on it. No, it was 21, but... But, but we encourage that. We encourage people to comment. Yeah, because tell us we're wrong. We'd like to hear, uh, oh, well, technically nine people died in the boat because one person <laughs> was seen later on in Venice like, having a hot dog. Like, yeah, one, you know, one just had a mask on and then later on in Venice <laughs> he's there. It was actually already the dead body from that guy previously. So, right, they so just... we've got four for Kiss and we've got 19 for Bang. So what's our total all over? We've got one Bond James Bond in the entire series. We've got... Uh, Two martinis in the entire series. We've got seven kiss in the entire series. And a 28 kills. Um, yeah. Did we 20, get nine 20, in the last? We did, yeah. Yeah, 28 kills. So in, five mango trees. <laughs> so at the end of the day, Bond got laid more this movie and had uh, more kills this movie. Very sober, though. He's just stuck to Very sober, and he doesn't like to tell people who he is in this movie. Coffee and green figs for Bond this now, no. is that medium sweet or is it black? <laughs> we'll never know. Um, <laughs> we didn't count Martini for the train car. Well, uh, they didn't say shake and not stir it or anything like that. No, I, I wouldn't count that. No. All right, that's Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang count. Uh, what's next? Shall we move on to the Scene Hall of Fame? I was thinking about this. I'm not sure what we're going to add to this. Obviously, so far, we've got Dent's Death. We've got uh, Bond, James Bond, Sylvia, Sylvia Trench, um, and we've got... Um, Underneath the mango tree. Oh. <laughs> what was our third one? Wasn't uh, a Honey Rider coming out of the water? Yeah, Honey Rider. So what are we going to add? I, I've been thinking about this. So I'm not too sure what we'll add to this. Got well, I we... think the I train? have to say, first of all, the, yeah, the fight scene on the train. Yeah, has the to train be. scene, yeah. Um, oh, definitely the bit where he leaves the body in the car and gets out and gets into another one. I mean, God, we all remember that. Like, fuck, we were all just so keen to talk about that moment. Um, yeah, the train car has got to go, the entire scene, but specifically the fight. Um, also, the Bond and Tanya's scene in the bedroom, that obviously has to be counted. Yeah, well, I didn't re- realise how iconic, and then as soon as you mentioned that they've used it every time, well, of course, um, and... 
Gypsy Camp, I want to get your mm. thoughts on that. Is that in or out? Just, just for that, thank you, thank you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we get to have Vavra in the Hall of Fame? Oh, uh, no, I wouldn't. The only other we, scene uh, that I think really comes close would be uh, the, yeah, the, the killing of Krilenku, but uh, yeah, I, I think the gypsy camp does top it. Not So not um, the, the channels with the boat and the periscope. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd love to have, uh, well, me and Em in Tokyo, um, and I'd love to have, that's an honourable mention, an honourable mention to... Sylvia Trench's last appearance. Any other honourable mention? My mouth isn't big enough. Just yeah, honourable mention. <laughs> All right, uh, so... Davros. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bond becoming a gypsy son. Yes, Bond finding his father. And, and can we just say, well in advance of You Only Live Twice, Bond becoming a gypsy, much better than Bond becoming Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll get to that very shortly in the coming weeks. Um, so can we all in agreement we're adding to this one the train scene, specifically the fight, but also the conversation. Maybe not the acting of spilling the drink. Um, uh-huh. We're also adding the encounter between Tanya and Bond, including the filming, and also the gypsy camp fight with Red Grant looking on. All in agreement? Say aye. 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 I underneath the main um. <laughs> That can be our agreeance. You know, it's either that or Krelenk or Krelenk. If you agree, say green figs. Uh, <laughs> all right. sweet. I believe... <laughs> medium sweet green figs. <laughs> I believe that this is the last topic that we'll talk about before our kind of concluding thoughts. But last week we couldn't really do much of it. It was the rankings because we only had one, Dr. No. I'm very interested about this, and I'm going to let you two go first because I've had a bit of a shifty-shifty with this one, but obviously we're going to be ranking as we go along. So number one is Dr. No, but now you can either add number one is From Russia With Love and number two Dr. No or vice versa. So, Ben, I'm very interested to hear this one. It's very spectre, isn't it? Number one, number two. Yes, um, very I big. When... Um, I finished, yeah, I was thinking about this, going, and what will I do? What will I think? And I have come to the conclusion that From Russia With Love will overtake Dr. No on my current list, and this will be number one, and Dr. No will be at number two. For me, there's no question From Russia With Love definitely over Dr. No. Um, And again, that's no knock against Dr. No. I love that one too, but From Russia With Love all the way. Coming into this... And before we start this podcast, I would have said Dr. No. I just loved Dr. No, and I still love it. But for me, From Russia With Love has always been a bit overrated. Still good, but a bit overrated. <sighs> Why? Hang on. <laughs> Maybe he will change his mind. Um, this last watch, I had so much fun. And even coming into this, even though um, today I still think from Russia with Love is an amazing film. I was going to put Doctor No first. I was wrestling back and forth, talking about it with you guys for two and a half hours. Has really changed my thoughts. It was always going to be a bit close, but just this world and all these characters and all the dynamics, the different plots. It's a bit confusing, but you really got to think about it. It's just this film is really great. So I'm also putting From Russia with Love above Doctor No, but it, it hurts me because I've always been a Doctor No apologist. I love that film. 
But yeah, so we're all the same. Um, I'll be very fascinated to see what happens next week. But closing thoughts uh, for the film. I kind of already said mine just then. I just think the world, the characters, the action scenes, everything from Dr. No was taken and just turned a whole lot better. Um, the directing, the music, uh, the editing, um, everything. So I really loved watching this film again, and I almost just want to watch it again right now to pick up on everything we talked about. Um, loved it. From Russia with Love, a classic. Probably will be in my top ten by the time we finish this ranking, but we'll see. It's developing, as I said at the start, a lot of these elements now that we get used to in Bond films. And it's kind of an interesting period, the films that we're going through at the moment, because, you know, the first four Bond films happened in the space of three years. We, You know, you got a James Bond film every year, basically, between 1962 and 1965. The glory days. The glory days. Um, and, you know... It, it kind of then shifts now into to Goldfinger. Um, and, you know, we get a different director with that one, which brings different elements and all that sort of stuff to it too before we go back to Terrence again for Thunderball. But in terms of of this film, I, I'd left it way too long in between seeing it again. And, look, I, I may joke and sort of, you know, talk up my Pierce Brosnan love, but it's it's good to be able to go back and remember these films for what they are and, and just kind of watch it where James Bond started. And, you know, just to see the style of these movies and see where it all begins and what we all know and love and what we've grown up with. But it's, it's really a film that I felt has held up actually quite well and we talked about that with the the fight scene and some of the other scenes and Colin you're mentioning about the editing and everything like that sort of stuff but it's I like being able to watch a movie that you know is 50 years old but 10 minutes into it not realize I'm watching a movie that's 50 years old if you know what I mean like just to kind of feel I'm just watching a movie um, and I feel for the most part from Russia with Love held that and yeah it's it's a very good film and I've enjoyed talking about it for the last couple of hours. From Russia with Love, this is the movie, despite the fact that it does feel so different from the rest of the Bond movies around these early this early era here, this is the movie that they always go back to whenever they're in trouble. Uh, every couple of movies, you see it get a little bit too absurd, a little bit too over the top, a little bit too campy, like we saw it when you hit You Only Live Twice, and then they bring it a little bit back down to the realism with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And the same thing with Moonraker for your eyes only and uh, Die Another Day to Casino Royale. They, they always know that if you want to reboot, if you want to reset, if you want to get it back to being good again, then just do what you did with From Russia with Love, which really just boils down to just stick to the book. Uh, this is by far the closest adaptation, almost word for word in some scenes from the book. And you don't lose anything. I mean, it's not like the book is lacking action, lacking excitement. It's just there's so much character there. And you can have a dozen different villains in a movie and have them all be great characters. Um, I said at the beginning, I think this is almost as close as you get to a perfect Bond movie on every level. And uh, this is one that I'll, I always watch, I would say, at least the first three Bond movies. You know, no matter what mood I'm in, I could always go back to the first three Bond movies. And you're getting something different with every movie, too, which is why this is interesting, because it is so different from Dr. No and Goldfinger. Just a quick kind of closing question. 
regardless of James Bond or anything, and regardless of it, if it's your favourite James Bond, favourite movie or whatever, is From Russia With Love the greatest spy film ever made? Ooh. Um, I, hmm, you go, Colin. Yeah, I, well, I think there's one movie that's come out in the last couple of years that probably tops it, not if not as entertaining as From Russia With Love, but is maybe better on all the other levels, and that's a movie called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I don't know if either of you guys have seen that. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that that would be the only one that I think really comes close. Uh, but otherwise, I would probably agree from Russia with Love. I mean, it's not only a perfect Bond movie, it's pretty much a perfect spy movie. And at one point, they were looking at Alfred Hitchcock was looking to do this movie. It's tough because um, in terms of great spy films, you know, it's hard for me to look past the... Um, the iconic I Spy with Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson. Um, spy Kids. <laughs> like, I, I'm very fond of that as a... Agent as a Cody Banks. Oh, now, come on. We, we don't bring Agent Cody Banks into James Bond talk. That's just offensive. Um, but, yeah, it's a good question. And, look, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a whole lot of spy movies outside of James Bond movies. Hands. But um, I think that's a perfect question to pose to the listeners. I don't think I'm too qualified to answer that question, as I said, given that I haven't read... I mean, my spy films outside of James Bond movie, you'd laugh at. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I spy all the way for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, next week, we've kind of had the foundations laid with Dr. No. They were tightened with From Russia With Love. But next week, the concrete will finally be set in the James Bond film series. Goldfinger. Thank you. So, and a few thoughts, maybe some teasers leading into it. Obviously, we haven't rewatched it yet. So, anything you want to say about that before we come back with it next episode? Do you expect me to talk? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Can we edit that? Can we edit the whole Do you expect me to talk? Maybe <laughs> um, Maybe we could Oh, I mean, Goldfinger is just It's one of the best I love Goldfinger And it's, you know, I feel As whenever you see people put these lists up Of best Bond films I mean, it's always up there, isn't it? And I, I think any Bond movie with the word gold in it Um <laughs> Well, starting with the word gold, um, it's generally a pretty Aye. good film. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to it. I love Goldfinger. It's so iconic. That I mean, if when we get to the end of it, if that's, that certain scene that I may have alluded to doesn't make it to the um, Hall of Fame, then uh, we're not doing our jobs correctly here right on this podcast. Uh, it's so funny with Goldfinger because it, if you really look closely enough, it's such a huge shift from, from Rush with Love. We were talking about how this is like maybe one of the best spy movies ever made. And uh, the story's so good. You know, the Terrence Young did such a good job with direction, Peter Hunt with the editing, and John Barry with the score. Everybody does such a good job with Goldfinger, but yet it's a movie so riddled with plot holes and mistakes, but nobody ever pays attention to those because it is so much fun. Uh, I think we're going to have even more fun picking apart some of those plot holes and everything, but... You just can't ignore how entertaining Goldfinger is. Uh, if From Russia With Love is the most polished James Bond movie, at least for a couple of decades, Goldfinger, I don't know if you can come up with an all-around more entertaining Bond movie than Goldfinger. Yeah, um, I may shock some people. I think it's a tiny bit overrated. <sighs> oh, 
but you're not going to find it probably outside of my top ten. When I say overrated, I mean I don't think it's the best James Wan film ever made. It's no Die Another Day. You know when there's more Die Another Day counts than there are Kiss Kiss counts? <laughs> this podcast has failed you. Alright, new introduction. The Die Another Day count. Oh, We're God. at number 38 for this episode. Bring back Anything to hear that introduction. But yeah, I'm looking forward to Goldfinger so much. Um, like, I'm not going to say I didn't have fun on this episode, but Dr. No, we were just laughing at every single seed of like the absurdity, and I feel like Goldfinger may bring that well, back. The funny thing is, I think when we discussed about doing these episodes, I mean, Dr. No one went for just two, hour, two and a half hours, essentially. This has gone for three. And I think we all said, oh, this one shouldn't go for as long. It's pretty polished. We'll get through it. <laughs> We've ended up talking for an extra 20-odd minutes. So go us. Yeah, well, it is an amazing film, and I feel like, really, we could probably talk about it for an hour or two more if we really wanted to. But don't worry, we're not. But we could. Um, there's just so much in this film, and that's probably a good time to end it. So that was from Russia with love. And my name is Somerset, Noah Somerset. My name is Ben, and of course you uh, can... Thank you, thank you, ah, me, after you've listened to this. Just want to quickly point out, we are now officially only four away from Lazenby. And uh, we are also officially only 18 away from Die Another Day. And a special shout out to Linda, if she's listening. (laughs) Hello, Linda, uh, and all of your aliases. Um, and I am uh, Krilenko, or Colin, or Somerset, or Nash. <laughs> uh, yes, and, and until next time, keep on eating those green figs, yogurt, and any coffee of your choice. Thank you. He seems fit enough. Did they fit Nash? Yes. I try to keep in shape. I'll be down now. Your old case sounds interesting, James. I'll make that an hour and a half. Uh, breakfast for one at nine, please. Green figs, yogurt, coffee, very black. Medium sweet, very black. Medium sweet, very black. Medium sweet, both. James, will you make love to me all the time in England? Day and night, go on about the mechanism. You're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. Thank you, but I think my mouth is too big. No, it's the right size. For me, that is. James, behave yourself. We are being filmed. Dushka, tell me the truth. Am I as exciting as all those Western girls? Oh, once when I was with Anne in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Thank you, Miss Valley Penny. That's all, that's all. Excuse me, you did say your clock was correct. Russian clocks are always... Tanya, wake up! Wake up or I'll leave you behind. Stay here with me. Tanya, wake up or I'll leave you behind, you hear me? Don't leave me. Never leave me. Come on, I'll leave you here. How does it feel, old man? Old man? Is that what you chaps and Smash call each other? Smash? Of course. Spectre. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>